Today, the Below Average Joe's MMA Show present the Weekend Recap. And everything we are talking today is all surrounding UFC 285. Two massive title fights. Some massive shakeups among the pound-for-pound best in the world, perhaps. In multiple divisions, new champions. So much to talk about. And I'm just ready to get right into it. I'm sure Dom is as well. All this and more. And it all starts right now. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this recap edition of the show. I'm Noah Baker, but I'm simply one half of this mm. dynamic duo. The man to my right, the Stockton to my Malone. Oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that because a lot of Carl Malone not making great headlines. Uh, let's try to pip into my Jordan. Pip in Jordan. There we go. Um, even though... Michael Jordan's son's apparently clapping Scotty's ex-wife's cheek. Oh, but, boy. Know, what an uh, intro. We, we really can't. Here. I mean, these, these duos are just not. <laughs> we, Peanut we, butter we, jelly. I, I want to say Kobe <laughs> and Shaq, but they didn't like each other. Yeah, no. Is there Peanut any duos jelly. that did? Is this what's inevitably going to happen to us, Dom? <laughs> are we going to get to, like, is this what happens to all great duos, that they just end up hating each other, and that's what ends up crashing and burning everything? Is that what the below average Joes as a whole is, is it doomed to fail? I'm going to say no. Okay. I'm glad you did because <laughs> uh, I, I was on the fence. Okay. But okay. no, I'm uh, glad to be back here with Dominic. I'm, of course, recording from my mom's stu- little studio here. Or my mom, I don't know why I say studio, her office. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the white women decor right. surrounding me right now. But... Good to be here. Good to visit some family. Got to watch UFC 285 alongside Dominic yes. and the rest of the battling for Bogey Boys. True, true. Um, we watched it at my future stepmother's house along with my dad and a couple of his friends. My sister and her boyfriend were there for a little bit. It's a good time. And Dominic, it was such a good time to me that I and, and the fights themselves were so good as a whole, I thought, that I'm going to make a pretty bold claim. I've been waiting for it. So, you know, and I'm sure a lot of, I've said this multiple times, but I'm a bit of, a, at this point, I don't know if I can really say I'm a newer fan, but UFC 199 was the very first event I watched live. Dominic coerced me into a, coming <laughs> to his uh, basement to watch, and I was hooked immediately, fell mm-hmm. in love with it. I think Saturday night, when you take into account the, the way we were watching the fights together, you know, had some of my family, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you mix that in with how the fights delivered. Mm-hmm. I think that might've been my single favorite fight viewing experience live. Mm. I like that, Noah. I do. It makes me happy to hear that, Noah. Yeah, to be I, that that might've been, you know, I don't know. UFC 229 when Habib fought Connor. Mm-hmm was a really good one, too, because we had a bunch of friends come up to our yep. college town in Bowling Green, and we made kind of a weekend out of it, if I remember. Uh-huh. So, I mean, that, that Friday was nuts. I mean, I, I, pissed, <laughs> yeah. my, I pissed my pants. I, I, Dom walks in from work, and the closet door's being used <laughs> as a pong table. I mean. Yeah, yeah, it was a mess. But that those two kind of stick out. But mm-hmm. I would look at this card from top to bottom. 
it's a little bit of recency bias, but I'd look at the fights from top to bottom as being better than what we got with UFC 229. So mm. that's mm. sort of where I'm sitting now. But because of that, obviously this card had a pretty big impact on me. And Dominic, I'm curious what kind of impact it had on you. I imagine uh, on betting side, things went really well for you. <laughs> and the fights themselves delivered. So how are you feeling? Yeah, if we're gonna tip, we got to bring the betting side into this as the third stage. This might be the best damn night of UFC ever. But uh, no, man, seriously, it was an amazing night. I'm gonna say when the UFC has the big cards, it's one thing, the promotion and the big fight feel. But then when they can go out there, the UFC and of course, obviously the fighters are the ones in the cage putting it all out there on the line, and it just delivers from top to bottom. It hits different, man. And I'll tell you what, it seems like every big pay-per-view for the UFC leaves you feeling some type of way the next mm -hmm. day. There's hardly ever can I recall, especially over the course of this podcast, where they've done not just a pay-per-view, but a big one. And you know what I mean. John Jones, for instance, on this one. Or DC versus uh, <coughs> um, Stipe in the trilogy. Like The big pay-per-views over the course of this show and over these past couple of years, the COVID era, have just felt even bigger the day after when you look at what has happened, the storylines to come out of the fights, the action that we got to see. And it's no different here. We are going to be covering this card top to bottom because there were performances and great um, just moments for fighters all the way from 5.30 p.m. until 12.30 a.m. midnight when John Jones got his hand raised, Noah. So I'm really looking forward to discuss. We got to talk about it live in person now. The fight hangovers calm down. It's the evening, the following day. We get to really just discuss our thoughts with everybody here. I'm amped. That's the big thing I've noticed in terms of what you're talking about. Like, just very rarely do you not have a large takeaway, at least one. Yep. From yep. a big UFC pay-per-view. And that could not be truer in the way I feel afterwards. I wake up this morning in physical pain <laughs> that, that not even... 32 shots of fireball could do to me right fight hangovers have been a constant since i've been watching live it's it's yeah. just the, the sport yeah. it's the part of the sport of watching yes however knowing that you have to wake up and record a podcast as much as we love it it's like you i kind of feel like i'm getting ready to walk into the octagon you you got to gather your thoughts quickly it's you know <laughs> the brain you know, scrambled yeah you know, these fighters like they want to complain you know they go in there for 15 25 <laughs> right. minutes a couple times a year i mean we're doing this for an hour two times a week people <laughs> right right who's really putting in the work here? no no i'm just kidding. but excited to be here dominica you know what it all starts with mm, i mean just this headline, headline says up. it huh yeah Put it up. Okay. I mean, it, there's nothing else that needs to be said there, but we will talk a little bit more about it. John Jones, <laughs> of course, is your new heavyweight champion of the world. And he does it in quick fashion. Two minutes, four seconds of the very first round. He submits surreal gone. Mm. A man who had never been submitted in his professional MMA career. Most of this discussion is going to be centered around John Jones and his greatness. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually going to throw a curveball in here, and I actually want to start with Gon. Okay, okay. So, Dominic, we talked a little bit about this on verbal sparring with this conversation, depending on how the fight went 
could potentially look like in terms of speaking about Surreal Gun. We have both been very high on him for a long time. Even making such bold claims as he's maybe the future of the heavyweight division, the most talented heavyweight of all time, or the potential to be, however you want to word it. One of the questions that we had on verbal sparring was who is the fighter you have been the most wrong about, whether it be they overexceeded your expectations or underperformed. Out of respect, I want to take this as no, I hope uh, this doesn't come off as disrespectful to Surreal Ghani. He's still a great talent. But can you say, sitting here now, after you've let it calm down a bit, would you put Surreal Ghani in the fighter you were most wrong about as you sit here today? I I want to s- no I shouldn't even say that I don't want to say yes my mind wants me to say yes I think mm. but I'm still going to say no and Noah this is why and this is also going to tie into kind of what I said because I almost backed myself into a corner on the preview show Friday so just follow along with me here and I'll tie these together to transition back but I'm going to say no because look at the look at the losses it's Francis Ngannou in a fight that was really close. Obviously, the takedowns are what secured that fight for Francis. And I still, even after last night, just think Gon wasn't prepared for Francis to wrestle him. Then last night happens. It's the greatest fighter of all time that he loses to. So I'm going to cut a little slack for the Frenchman for now. So I'm going to say no for now. However, again, tying into what I said Friday, I said... And it's on the record, and that's why I'm being transparent here and bringing it up, Mm -hmm. that if he were to get starched and ran through by John Jones, I would no longer view Surreal Gone as that elite, like next-level type Mm -hmm. heavyweight, right? And of course, what happens? (laughs) He gets ran through, guys. The only strike that landed that was significant was an illegal (laughs) strike to the balls of John Jones in that fight. That's it. Some are saying the biggest strike of the contest. Yeah, and I remember I I wrote him with Branson, so I remember looking at him and I go, you know, Branson, I said all this about Surreal on Friday, and now here I am wanting to retract it because John Jones is just so good. I think he might run through everybody in the heavyweight mm-hmm. division like he just well, did last night. No, you're allowed to go back <laughs> on that take. I just you so just... I, I'm gonna. I'm going to leave it out there, but I'm just going to come back on it a little. I'm going to retract just a little. I still view him as a great talent, but definitely still, regardless of who he lost to, being it was John Jones, though, last night, I'll I'll come down. I'll come down on it. He's no longer that, you know, phenom, next-level, elite, never-before-seen heavyweight. I will say that he no longer is that to me, but he is still a very high-tier high quality heavyweight. So hopefully that's not too, you know, soft on my side, but it's just, it, it, it all comes back to me with the greatness of John Jones. But before mm. we get into that, here we go. You answer your part of the question from verbal sparring as well. So surprisingly, I'm actually going to say no as well. I think okay. you might've, you might've thought I was going to say yes, just because I brought it up and considering on that episode of verbal sparring, which you can go watch right now or of after course. this episode's over, you know, right. but um, I think I said like, if what your scenario you had presented and ended up kind of playing out happened <laughs> that I probably yeah. would lean that way. But 
I've been pretty wrong about some guys, especially in the reverse end. Like we talked about Cody Garbrandt a little bit, who mm-hmm. we'll talk about later. Um, you know, you could look at guys like Mickey Gall. I was pretty mm-hmm. high on, and that didn't obviously work out. And you know, there's there's a lot of guys, right? So I, I'm not going to go that far because Dominic, you're right. I think the resume, yeah, needs to kind of speak for itself here. And you know, and a wise man once said. Judge me by my losses, not by my wins. Do you know who that wise man was, Dom? You're going to have to enlighten me with the quick pop quiz there. That was Jake Paul after he lost to Tommy Fury. I didn't know what I was thinking, but I didn't think that. (laughs) But in all seriousness, losing to two of the best heavyweights to ever do it. Well, one of the best. I mean, John Jones looked incredible. Yeah. But it was one fight, right? So it's like, you know. We'll see, but at one of the the best fighter of all time, go. and one you know. of the best heavyweights. There yeah. you go, <laughs> Francis Ngannou, one of the yeah. most yeah. scariest heavyweights of all time. And in a way, you could kind of look at it as somewhat of a compliment that Gon had forced the scariest power puncher yeah. in MMA history to resort to wrestling to get the win. Gon was winning on the feet in yeah. that fight. And so, but if you look at Gon's wins, who's his top four wins? You got Biggie Boy Rosenstrike, mm-hmm. Alexander Volkov. Mm-hmm. Derek Lewis for the interim title, who he finished. Right. And Tai Tuivasa, who he finished in the main event in Paris. Most of those fights were not particularly close. Right. Even the Tuivasa one, which I know we kind of disagreed on, mm-hmm. but truthfully, it was mostly right. a dominant showing outside of the fact that Tuivasa, you know, dropped him, had him yeah. on the on the ropes for a minute there. So I still think Gon's an elite heavyweight. Was I yeah. wrong about saying he's the most complete heavyweight we maybe have ever seen? Yes. So wrong. Yeah. 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 That's the problem, Dom. He is an elite heavyweight, an elite skill set in terms of his striking, but his holes are pretty gaping. Yeah. And I think that's just what was exposed even more so Saturday. Now, how many guys are going to be able to do to him mm. what – Nganu kind of did or what Jones just yeah. did. I mean Curtis Blades might. Right, right. But you go beyond that, who's Not really gonna many. do that to him? Right. Is Pavlovich gonna do that to him? Not the way he's I been mean, fighting. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think Nganu would, but you know, yeah. you never know. Tui Basa yeah. obviously didn't do that to him. You go down, he's beat some of these guys who would come up next. Yeah, yeah for sure. So I think Gone is going to be in the contender picture for a long time. I I agree. I Depending on how so. long he wants to fight and is assuming he doesn't, you know, regress, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. crazy amount. He's 32, right? So, yep. Yep. You know, he's still got at least, you know, at heavyweight, they last a little longer usually with their years and he doesn't have like a ton of professional MMA experience. So it's not yeah. like the fight years right. would be weighing him down, but that striking skill set is advanced at heavyweight. So many heavyweights have, really big power but their actual technical boxing or kickboxing is not there's only a few yeah, yeah look at like tui vasa or Derek lewis like these guys are great fought yeah. for titles or at least came close to it but really they're not like technical boxers or technical right. strikers they are they have crazy power great timing all that but mm-hmm. that's just how heavyweight is surreal gone is advanced in that level Oh, undoubtedly. Yeah. It's it's just that I just don't think he is as complete of a mixed martial artist as I yep. once believed. I think I was uh 
I mean, you could probably, you know, tell me if you feel differently, but I was probably convinced that he was based off of some anomalies, you know, getting like the submission win on uh, Dante Mays. Well, I think that's the know? thing, right? We we saw the success offensively, never had to even sweat him on the defensive side. So you just mm. assume like, oh, well, he's probably pretty good on the ground. We just don't really see him, you know, have to play defense on that side of things. Then you've seen it in two of his last three fights that there is a pretty clear hole. And what did John Jones say all week? There's a clear hole. There's clear gaps. Mm-hmm. There's clear weaknesses. He went in and did everything he said he was going to do with those weaknesses. So. Yeah, I mean, that's a good way to transition. I don't know if we really need to matchmake for Gon. He's going to be getting a pretty big fight. right now. You know, anyway. does he fight the loser, Blades Pavlovich? I think that's probably a pretty good option. But, you know, we'll see. Yeah. But it, whoever it is, it'll probably be in a fight night headliner or pretty I big would. on a main card. He's not going away. No, 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 no. And now transition into the conversation about John Jones, who okay. greatest of all time. I mean, this was a hard one for Dominic to say because he, <laughs> yeah, not only due to the resume, of course, of Anderson Silva, which I think mm-hmm. stands on his own as that minimum top three, yeah, of all time. But Thank also you. your personal <laughs> yeah. love for Anderson Silva, you know, yeah. has obviously carried that as well. Some you even yeah. said it last night, like without a doubt. Yeah. Even though I don't think you were necessarily denying it before, but right, you know, I think I didn't want to let go of Anderson. <laughs> for more people out there, it seemed like it was somewhere holding on to GSP. Yeah, yeah, true. And a lot of it, and some people may still feel that way because of the whole PED mm-hmm. argument. And you know, I'm not going to tell anybody they're wrong, but in terms of the best fighter I've ever seen in MMA, you cannot deny it's not John Jones. If you want to disqualify him, that's fine. But he is the best. <laughs> Mixed yeah. martial artists of all time. And I mean, that's what everybody's going to say on these podcasts. I won't harp on just saying that over and over again. He called a shot here, Dom. Some of us wondered if he, maybe he was being a little bit too confident, overlooking some of the talent gone obviously had in the standing department. John Jones, three-year layoff, first fight at heavyweight. Some were looking at his physique on fight week and saying, ooh, yeah, I didn't like chubby, those, which I, yeah. I never really bought into that. Maybe it's because yeah. I'm just fat myself and I'm just like happy to see <laughs> a guy like him, uh, right, yeah. just doing it like one of the one of us. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. I was thinking, wait, I could be John Jones if I just get that. <laughs> right. There you um, go. There you go. But, um, he, my question for you, I guess, to start this, this may come to you as like a very softball like easy question to answer but i just want you to think about it okay did john jones answer every question we had going in about how he would transition to heavyweight okay well friday one of the bigger <laughs> we talked about a lot of questions and storylines there's, there's a lot the some of them we didn't even talk about probably right. one of the main ones was have we already seen the best of him I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no to that. I can for sure check that one off because yeah. you look at what he did last night and then you look at those last couple performances at light heavyweight. He said it was a lack of motivation, wasn't excited for the fights. He was fighting not to lose rather than fighting to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's exactly the narrative. That's exactly based off of what I saw last night in two minutes. That's that answer. Uh, what are some of the, I mean, how would he fill out with the weight? How would his strength carry over? What is grappling? Uh, work here against a guy that he's never fought this big. Would he have ring rust? You know? Would he have ring rust? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely not to every one of those other questions. <laughs> he, am I, is there a box I'm trying to think of? 
I can't think of anything, any yeah. questions that he didn't answer last night. And it's sickening to say that. No, we didn't get to see much. I remember looking at you, the fight ended. I'm like, huh? What what happened? We were shocked. The fight's over. In nobody nobody could tell that that choke was in. It seemed like he almost just tapped, like he was just like, well. And, and that was enough here. for that was enough for me to say all I'm saying right now on today's show. Yep. Yeah. Checked all the boxes, mm. answered all my questions. Yeah, he did. It the fact and he's only 35 still, man. Mm. And have you been seeing all the stuff on uh Twitter today? This is Sunday when we're recording this. That aftermath day, everybody's going crazy on Twitter. You know how it is the day after pay-per-views. And I'm seeing pictures of 2011. John Jones winning the title for the first time. I'm thinking in 2011, 12 years ago, I was 11, 12 years old. Now I'm 24 going on 25 next month watching John Jones come back after a layoff and win another title. He's been winning championships for 12 years. He's been winning nothing but championships, Noah. That's greatness. That is greatness that we've never seen in this sport and probably never going to see again. I can't get the quote down word for word, but I listened to Dana White's post-fight press conference uh, this morning, and they were asking him, of course, about some of John Jones' transgressions out of the octagon and for him to come back from him and all this stuff. He said something like... um, was um, that many men or women fighters who rode the straight and narrow never took their focus off of preparing for the next fight, off of preparing for their next opponent, who did everything right, the right way, mm-hmm. will never accomplish half of what John Jones did despite yeah. being one, having one of the most chaotic careers in and out of the octagon you can have that's greatness yeah it's it's, you don't have to like the guy actually i think that's a fair uh, thing obviously we don't know him but you know based off of some of the things he's had been accused of or been convicted of you know questionable character to say to be nice and yeah that's fine but in terms of when you view the sport of mma he is the best yeah. example when you watch someone in the octagon, there is no better example of greatness in this sport. He is Michael Jordan. Yeah. He is, uh, I mean, who do you want to say for like baseball? Barry Bonds. Yeah. He's, um, he's Tom Brady. He's, right. Right. He is, that is who he is for our sport. And you don't have to like that, but we have to accept that that's who he is. Yeah. And despite that, to answer the question I gave you, I think he answered the biggest questions for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. the big question marks, how he, how would he look against a heavyweight opponent? How would his strength hold up mm-hmm. against Gon, who's not a weakling, <laughs> not a really strong guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, how would his grappling hold up, uh, hold it held up pretty well. Yeah. Uh, would there be any ring rust? Mm, mm-hmm. Nope. <laughs> But I do think there could be some questions still going forward. And I think that's what makes it so exciting as we look ahead to his next fight, which looks like it'll be against the heavyweight goat, Stipe Miocic. And we'll talk about that here in a second. Uh-huh. But, you know, we didn't see really how his speed adjusted to heavyweight in terms of like the striking. I'm I think he did a great job up. of, you know, taking him down, getting control right away. His strength looked great, like in top yeah. position. 
Yeah. And of course, to be able to kind of, I mean, Dana described it like he made Gon look kind of like a baby. Like he was like ragdolling him around. And that was basically yeah. what we saw. Yeah. But we really didn't see anything in the striking. And that's not a knock on him. It was such a dominant performance that it's hard to answer those questions. Mm -hmm. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to doubt the guy. I bet on him because I said I can handle being right, the guy who right. bet on the best of all time who's undefeated. Well, technically undefeated to lose his first fight i can stomach that i can't stomach betting against against the, the best to ever do it yeah. and him go out there and do goat shit which is what he did but there are going to be some very interesting questions that pop up for that next fight and it's not just him either stipe is going to have to answer some of those questions so yeah i do think it was just worth bringing up it's not a knock on his performance you can't knock that performance no. but dom it's somewhat of a prolonged version of like Conor McGregor knocking out Jose Aldo in 13 seconds. Yeah. So yeah. many question marks about if Conor could really do it at that time. Yeah. He does it, but it was so quick. So fast. Yeah. That you had, everybody probably still had some questions. Yeah. If they yeah. ran that back, you know, what would happen? Right. How's he going to do trying to make title defenses? Well, I mean, his career went pew. So we never yeah. really got a yeah. lot of answers to those questions, but <laughs> That's what you had to take away at the time. It's, it is the kind of performance. It's legacy defining in some ways. Um, but yeah, do you kind of agree with that? Like in terms of what we saw, that there are still questions, but they're that's new. Not questions. a knock on the performance. Yeah, they're the questions <laughs> yeah. that were a little lower. Yeah, on the total now they're have now been shot yeah. up to the top. Right, right. Yeah, I I completely agree, and I think it actually bodes well with what I want to bring up here. He said this. Uh, now, I didn't get to see his actual post-fight press conference, but he did the quick hitter post-fight interview on ESPN with John Anik, and oh, I always blank on the guy's name from SportsCenter, but he did that for SportsCenter after the well, fights like last Max night. Max Kellerman or something? No, I can't remember his name. Right, I'll, I'll find it. I won't, but, I won't hold you up. Um, he said that going into the Stipe fight, he had a great quote, by the way, about the Stipe thing, how he's wanted this fight forever, a goat versus a goat, it's going to be big. I, I think it could have been bigger at one point, but it's still pretty massive now, mm -hmm. especially that John's the champion. So the fight's huge. But he said, not nonchalantly, but just quickly, and then they kind of kept talking about the fight. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. He said, I'm looking forward to, you know, cutting down, getting a little bit leaner for the Stipe fight, losing a little weight, mm -hmm. coming in a little cleaner um, with the physique and whatnot. And I thought, okay interesting Stipe mentioned to Megan O'Leavy last night in a quick hitter after the event they took his ass so fast backstage by the way after that main event and it was crazy that dude had to be huffing and puffing talking to Megan <laughs> yeah, he teleported but, uh, yeah it was crazy they put him on a golf cart or something but he said he weighed 253 pounds that's the biggest Stipe's ever weighed uh, as far as my memory serves me mm -hmm. which would weigh more than both Gon and Jones last night so that's a uh, I think that adds some things because Stipe's always been pretty quick in terms of uh the boxing anyway not like footwork like gone but quick hands good boxer so with him putting on more size how's he gonna look for John I think it's really something to consider here if he he looked like his physique was fine I a little chub what, what's it matter did you see the muscle on the guy I mean he's physically insanely strong so the fact that he wants to come in leaner to have a bit more speed for a guy like Stipe I think kind of ties hand in hand with that question that you just brought up. So did you hear about that? What are your kind of thoughts on that? If you hadn't heard it yet and 
I think that just morphs well with what you just brought up, to be quite frank. Well, I, ha- I hadn't heard it, but my immediate thought was that I think that's a smart idea. And it's not because of any which way he looked here, but considered a matchup. Yeah. He came in heavier because in a lot of ways, you probably knew that his advantage was going to be to take the, the fight with gone to the ground in the wrestling. Yep. So yep. being heavier than him would help in holding that top position, getting mm-hmm. control mm-hmm. time. It was so quick. I mean, some of that stuff didn't right. even end up being in question. With Stipe, you know, this fight could be fought primarily on the feet. Stipe's got great wrestling himself. Yes, yes, for sure. Now we haven't we've seen Stipe. Uh, Daniel Cormier took him down maybe once in I that think third so. fight. Yeah, and I think Stipe was able to either get back up or I don't remember exactly how that mm-hmm. went. But Stipe is a guy who we've not seen, you know, off his back, like, right at all through yeah. his UFC career, um, which is an interesting dynamic in of itself because we just yeah. saw what's real gone in a different set of circumstances. A guy who had shown a lot of promise in terms of his submission capabilities with leg locks and maybe with his offensive wrestling looking pretty good. And then he gets put on his back and he looks almost kind of lost out there. I don't expect Stipe to look like that. I think there's a reason why the man's never or rarely been put on his back. But I wonder if Jones looks at it like if I can get leaner, build up some of that speed. Yeah. If I can simply be faster with the footwork, faster with the hands, stay on the outside and pick Stipe apart with his shots. And Hmm. um, that's an interesting kind of style fight right there because Stipe is known for his boxing. So um, I mean, now we're kind of talking about the Stipe fight, and I think that's fair to transition into. You guys know what we – I mean, that's really all that's left to be said about the Stipe fight or the Jones gone fight. Right. Like, so quick. I mean, we yeah. spent more time talking about it than the fight actually took place. Yeah. <laughs> um. So Stipe has been confirmed to be the next matchup. They don't know – you know, they're not confirming when it's going to be. All signs seem to point to the big international one. <laughs> fight week in yeah. July. Uh, They're going to be massive in Las Vegas if that is the fight. How do you feel about Dominic? Because you obviously, uh, if people are unaware, maybe newer fans to this uh, channel, me and Dominic are two of the bigger Stipe fans you will find. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) Nice. Uh, You know, we are from Ohio. So, you know, we tend to feel that way about Ohio fighters. And Stipe was our guy. Yeah. Uh, from, you know, when I first started watching and Dominic at the time kind of getting us into it, then we went and saw him defend against Overeem in Cleveland. How are you feeling about that fight right now? <laughs> well, my immediate reaction, and I think it's pretty fair, regardless of my fandom for Stipe is <sighs> yikes. <laughs> I'm not, and, and I'm saying that as nicely as I can, because regardless if Stipe was next, if Sergey Pavlovich was next. If my boy Tom Aspinall was next, I'd be saying the same thing. Yikes. This is a scary, scary man to have as the champion right now, man. I mean, 35 years old, still has plenty of fight years left. Uh, and John Jones becoming the champ now, newly, you know, reinvented himself. This is only his first fight back, and he looked that good. You got to think he's only going to look better in his second fight, right? That's is true. that fair to at least assume for now? So, uh, I don't know. It's definitely an interesting match. I remember we, we've talked about this potential fight for really since the beginning of the podcast because that's when, you know, DC and Stipe were kind of 
at the heat of their rivalry, finishing that rivalry off. Mm -hmm. So this has always been a topic of discussion, you know, here and there from 2020, 2021, you know, for three years now. And uh, and now we're finally going to get it in four months, four months time. And that's just, it's crazy. It's huge. It doesn't get much bigger than this. But going into any fight moving forward until proven otherwise, I have to lean the side of John Jones. And it's just, it's greatness, man. Again, it's just history. You don't get to see stuff like this much. Uh, it's going to be a big one, though, man. He's right. I mean, this is the greatest of all time, pound for pound, weight class-wise, versus the greatest heavyweight of all time. And I think there is something to be said there. If Stipe, because how many times have we said this? It just feels like with the way Stipe's been going, he's been out for what'll be 30 months, give or take, by the time July rolls around. His legacy has already been cemented. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like any other wins are just cherries on top, but a win over John Jones, that's a little bit more than just a cherry on top, man. And for John, if he can beat Stipe, it's almost just like he can't get any better. Now he's just putting <laughs> himself higher and higher above all those, the GSPs, the Silvas, the mighty mouses. He's just putting himself mm -hmm. way ahead of them. That's what this fight is. So, I mean, you know, belt on the line, that's cool and all, but legacy wise, this is this is huge. I, you know, I say that all that about Stipe's legacy being cemented, but if he goes in here and beats John Jones, <laughs> it ain't cemented. They're gonna have to pour some new pavement if he beats John Jones. I'll put it that way. It, yeah. it, it it's sick, man. It's awesome. Yeah, gosh, like you're bringing up really good points there about if Stipe beats John Jones, you know, all of a sudden the conversation sort of. <laughs> changes a little bit i don't yeah. know if you can say jones or stipe is like the best ever but all of a sudden i mean you gotta he throws least... himself into the uh list yeah. you know like in our personal opinion he's top 10 all time and I, yeah. I hope most people might agree with that but right but if he were to beat jones he's probably shooting up i mean we're talking anderson silva gsp yeah. john jones territory yeah I mean, in all honesty, especially right. to do that at heavyweight, which has been a division with so much turnover at the top and in the championship position to be that constant. Yeah. And, and he'll be, win. what, 40, 41 years old, too? Like, Oh, my gosh. Is that the case? That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I worry about it, though, for, for our boy Stipe. I, I think I you do. have to. I, well, you know, I worried about it when we talked about it in 2020. I always yeah. thought yeah. the idea of those two fighting, I always sort of favored Jones in that matchup. And now that we haven't you, seen Stipe since March of 2021. One, and you've seen John at heavyweight now. Yeah, we it's just like... saw John's at heavy or Jones at heavyweight. Like this time off for Stipe, can you really say it's a good thing for him to be gone this long? I mean, mm. it's kind of weird because we're talking about we're just talking about a guy who just took a three year layoff and came back looking yeah, as good, right. if not better, than he was in his last few fights. But I don't know if I see that same trajectory potentially for Steve. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm not saying he can't win the fight. He mm -hmm. is. I mean, I was breaking down the matchup to you and it was kind of convincing me in my own head, his chances being better than like what gone showed here. Yeah. But potentially. I mean, this is a guy who has, you know, his vulnerabilities have been exposed before in terms of, you know, he did get knocked out by DC with the, short punch in the clinch and you looked i mean obviously in ganu sent him yeah, to the shadow room that was not fun yeah. um i don't know if jones can do that or not on the feet but it, it that creates just a great dynamic for another super intriguing fight 
But even if you just if you just take the matchup out of it, Stipe just at this point in his career, is the fire really still there? He presents it as it is, <laughs> but I think it's a different thing. Really? Because what we well, get in the uh, maybe he says it, but when I see him like speaking to Megan O'Levy last night when they teleported him backstage, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I didn't see him speaking like a guy who was I mean, he's always kind of yeah. talked. He's never really I think talked that's the, talk like that. Yeah, yeah. But I guess maybe I just want a little more fire for what yeah, could potentially that's be the fair. biggest fight of your career and your last fight of your career. Yeah. But I'm sure priorities have changed for Steve Bay. He's a yeah. full-time firefighter. He's got his family, his kid. He's got his grill. Yeah, of course. You know, <laughs> fighting's not really a large part of his life probably anymore. Right, right, yeah. But again, that this leads me to be more, even more concerned about it because Jones has had his eyes on this fight forever. When the guy who is the more technically more accomplished fighter, and right now I would say the better fighter, seems hungrier, hmm. that's a little cause for concern. John said something like that last night as well in that same little interview that I was referencing oh. earlier. Um, when he was talking about the quick little, oh, I'm going to get leaner, yada, yada, yada. They talked about the Stipe fight. And he gave him all the, all the praise, right? Goat versus goat. Mm-hmm. I've been wanting this. I'm ready for this. Um, showed his respect, you know, and stuff. But then, again, in the most John Jones way, again, guys, he's he's top three shit talker of all time. I'm going to go out <laughs> and say that one on today's show. You, he may do it differently than Connor, but the way yeah. in which he does it is quite methodical. So subtle, but it just yes. pierces yeah. you. All their jabs. And so last night he goes, you know, Stipe, I respect you. I think you're a great human, a great American, the firefighting family man. He said, if I'm you, I'm taking some time away from the fire trucks, the fire station, because if you're not 100% focused on me, I'll essentially run through you. I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, my sole focus in my life is beating you, and I'm not going to beat Stipe Miocic. I will finish Stipe Miocic. That's all paraphrasing, but that's part a large part what he said and he said that man and i and that relates again to what you just said with is that fire there for stipe is he hungry enough to take on a rejuvenated lion in john jones we'll see we'll see (laughs) i'm a little scared to see but yeah no we definitely will see and uh, with that dominic i think we can transition into our co-main event Please. This is the second time we've had this headline title here. Dominic, the third, the third, uh, whatever you want to call it, the third leg of this uh, Mexican parlay parlay (laughs) has hit. Uh, Some may say the biggest underdog to do it of all of them. Yeah. Um, We, it's still unclear if Aldana is actually going to be fighting Amanda Nunes. So even if she doesn't, Dominic, I feel we like now three, you got to, though. But yeah, but, but yeah. now you have three Mexican <laughs> champions. And yes, yeah. we're counting Yair with that interim title. He's going to yeah. be the next guy to fight Alexander Volkanovsky, and I cannot wait yeah. to see that fight. Yeah. But Alexa Grasso, round four, chills. four minutes, 34 seconds, submits, submits, finishes Valentina Shevchenko. Give it a second. Okay. What a crazy year and some change it's been for dominant champions. 
I mean, no God kidding. forbid being a dominant champion in 2022, 2023. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In the end of 2021. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's got to be, that yeah. be just terrifying. I mean, yeah. Alexander Volkanovsky's got to be shitting his britches right now. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what's going to happen? But um, Dominic, I mean, I want to kind of give you a question here to kind of start us off. What do you even ask? <laughs> What do I ask? Alexa Grasso. How go good, ahead. how fucking good did Alexa Grasso look in that fight last night? She That's looked incredible. She looked you. incredible and she wasn't even winning the fight. Yeah. She beat, finished an exceptional Valentina Shevchenko here. Yes. Yes. She I did. thought Valentina Shevchenko looked much better than she did against Tyler Santos. Yep. I thought she looked better than she had in certainly some of her other defenses. I think better than the Maya fight she looked last night. Yeah. No, 100%. Alexa Grasso, the thing is, yes, she got the submission win, Dom. But if you actually watch the fight, you'll see Alexa Grasso outstruck Valentina Shevchenko. Yes. Valentina won two rounds due to top control. Due to top Not control, the able to get takedowns at will and had the strength advantage in here. Yeah. But Alexa had more pop on her punches. I don't know what the stats would say, but she felt more accurate on her punches. Yep. She was yep, more sure. active in terms of she was throwing yep. more. So yep. even if her accuracy was lower, she was constantly throwing something, whether it was a feint or something that she kind of wasn't going to hit, but she was just mm-hmm. kept throwing. Mm-hmm. Didn't tire out. She needed an opening, and Valentina, a fighter who has so rarely made a mistake, throws that spinning attack, misses, leaves her back open, and within a split second, Grasso pounces on her back. Right into able it. able to choke her out yeah. with less than 30 seconds left in the round. Dominic, like I, I, I'm still like kind of overcome by this, and I'll tell you guys why. The bet slip may not show it. Unfortunately. Because, <laughs> but round two comes, and Alexa Grasso just won the round. And it, it was probably a couple minutes in the round two, to be fair. Um, and Valentina looked like she was kind of controlling the second round, looking looking pretty good. Might have even had the takedown at that point. And the live odds pop up. And we were even like debating what the live odds might be. And they mm-hmm. just so happened to pop up. And we were all saying like plus 200, 250, right. 300. Plus 650. Yeah, more than going into the fight. For someone who just won the only round of the fight so far. Yeah. And I understand the respect for Valentina is deserved and earned. But I saw that and I was like, I have to, I got to pounce on this. Like Impulse betting 101. Impulse betting 101. (laughs) And I, I, I threw the 25 bucks on it. And when she got that choke in... I was screaming yeah, my yeah. ass off. I felt bad for our buddy JP who had a parlay with Valentina in it. Yeah. Man said at the end of the night, I didn't hit a single bet today. So <laughs> yeah. I felt sorry for him. That, and I hate to do that because Dominic has certainly done that to me before <laughs> where he dances on the grave. And uh, I, and I, and it never makes me feel good. So I do kind of yeah. felt, I felt bad, but what a moment that was. In MMA mm. history for her to get that finish. We talked about it going in, Dom, that I think we were giving Alexa more credit than the majority of people in this space. 
I think so. You know, we we thought she was above in terms of a challenge for Valentina. She was a more credible challenger than a many of the girls that Valentina had beaten or run through, or even right. like in Jennifer Maya's case, one, but like you said, maybe not her best performance. Yeah. And I, I think you even said you'd be more surprised if like Jeff Neal beat Shavkat. Than I did say that last night. Alexa yeah. Grasso beating Valentina. <clears throat> All this ends up looking pretty yeah. good in hindsight because Alexa Grasso gets that win. I guess my question for you to start things off, even though we kind of, Hinted at, like, I even made the bold claim that I thought Valentina would lose her title this year. Mm. I was thinking more Aaron Blanchfield, Tyler Santos, but you're right, right? Hey, I, I, I never said that. I just yeah, said yeah. I thought she'd lose, so I, I yeah. count it as a win. Um, how surprised are you in the way that this happened? You weren't necessarily that shocked, isn't maybe the word to describe her winning. But how shocking was it for her to get the finish, to get the submission, the way it all kind of came together, less than 30 seconds left in a round when she's down on the cards? Okay, let me talk this through here. So in the moment, I was shocked in the way in which she did it. Hindsight, I wish I wouldn't have been as shocked because we saw this, these capabilities of Alexa I just wanted to not say Alexa because of last night watching the fights. <laughs> anyways, we'll hint that later maybe. But um, <laughs> anyways, her fight with Joanne Wood, she showed the ground skills, the submission capabilities. And then she had a stand-up fight with Viviani. I'm pretty sure it was pretty much stand-up all 25 minutes when she won that fight. But then, you know, she wins last night by sub. Pair that with... Uh, I don't know if you caught this. She said that they practiced exactly that finishing sequence last night. Valentina throws a spinning attack. She evades, goes straight for the back. She said they had been practicing that because they knew Valentina's prone to throw a spin every now and again, whether it's a kick mm -hmm. or a spinning back fist, she does it. And honestly, Valentina lands them at a pretty large clip for the most part too. So the fact that Alexa was able to see that coming, evade it, and instantly pounce on the back before Valentina could finish turning back to face her. And then let us not, you know, let this shy away either. This choke wasn't under the neck. This was a face crank. Did you see the pictures? Yeah. The red. Yep. And then they, yeah. uh, the there's a huge, yeah, it looked like a sunburn on Valentina. Hey, that's a great, jaw. great ob observation by Joe Rogan. I know nowadays a lot of people like to throw shit at Joe Rogan. Mm. Keen observation by him on the broadcast to bring that up. Yeah, and uh, I think it just shows the strength that Alexa has, the skill that she has to be able to get her hands in the proper position to squeeze that way, to make Valentina, you know, she didn't put her to sleep. She made Valentina tap. No, it's yeah. one thing if you're making a dominant champion tap, and that's what she did, man. It, it was an emotional moment to see her win that fight because, you know, she came into the UFC with a lot of hype. She faltered a little bit, wins, losses, back and forth at 115. Now she's 5-0 at 125. She's just now entering her prime. She's the sweetest thing, well-spoken, from Mexico, the first Mexican-born female champion. Three Mexican champions in the first three months of the year, one in each month. This is absolutely historical. This is probably going to end up being the most historical year for any single country in UFC history, what's happening in 2023 right now, and it's only March. It's an amazing story. It really is. And that's kind of amazing because 
uh, Mexican or Mexico has through combat sports for as long as combat sports have been around has been such a heavy boxing yep. country. You look at some of the all-time boxers, you know, a lot of them come from Mexico, even like Canelo Alvarez right now uh, from Mexico. MMA has not had a ton of top-tier Mexican MMA talent. You know, King Velasquez was sort of being... He was like the first uh, one. He was kind of being paraded like yeah. the representative of that country, but I don't even think he was uh, Mexican-born, right? He was I think he was in born in the America. U.S., yeah. Um, not that that, like, takes away from it, but I'm right, just right. saying that, like... I'm not, and it ended up not working out. Like they did the Mexico City fight with him and Fabricio, yeah. and you know he, you know, came Velasquez as great as he was. They never were quite able to capitalize enough, right, on right. putting him in that position to kind of carry that country into and bringing them into MMA. It didn't last long enough as him as champion to do that. Yeah. So it was sort of out of nowhere that these first three months have happened. Now we were, um, you know. We might get some flack for being just two guys talking MMA, but and not to give us a pat on the back because we've been wrong about so much shit. <laughs> but Dominic, we were talking about this being that year for Mexican MMA, and you know I don't think a lot of people were really aware of that at the time yeah. about the what this could turn into. And yeah. even when we talked about it, I really didn't believe that like we would see all three of these Mexican fighters boom, boom, boom. hold yeah. titles. Obviously, Alexa was the biggest underdog, but the, the chances of all three of these uh, yeah. fighters hitting was just, in my head, unlikely. But it was a storyline and one that I thought should be discussed. Mm -hmm. And now it's happened, and it's kind of come out of nowhere. You know, the focus of the sport, when you look at the upcoming talent and the guys at the top, you know, Dagestan, Russia, like, they get so yeah. much attention, and rightfully so, they ain't going anywhere. Right. But this has, like, come out of nowhere. Like, yes... Brandon Marino has been a champion before. Yair Rodriguez has been a top contender for a long time. Alexa Grasso was looked at as a very hyped prospect from the beginning. Mm -hmm. But for them to culminate all at the same at the time yeah. to the pinnacle of the sport, and not just at the same time, Dominic, back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back months. Three straight pay-per-views. Yeah. We're already saying 2023 is the year of Mexico for MMA, and we're it's not over. even in April. <laughs> it's solidified. Yeah. We're only five days into March. Like, yeah, yeah. So it's unprecedented. I'm not yeah. sure if it'll ever be duplicated mm. in our lifetime. Mm. Well, that might be a bit dramatic, but you get my point. I like, get it, your this point. Is, yeah. It's special. It's yeah. very special, especially when you consider how this country has not produced top tier MMA talent because most of most fighters in that country so often go to boxing. Right. And now you look at it with, you know, these three mm -hmm. are leading that charge for the young generation. A performance mm -hmm. Institute is being built in Mexico as we speak. I don't even, I might even be finished, but if not, it's going to be finished this year. The market's always been there. The UFC and Dana have always wanted to hit mm -hmm. it. Now they've got three champions, a fourth, potentially at the end of the year or someone who at least is challenging for a belt by the end of the year. That's big. Like there's not really any other countries that have ever like had this much momentum, especially seemingly like that at the strike the, of a match. You did see it a little bit uh, a couple years or yeah, I guess in 2021, once in won the heavyweight title and you had Usman, Africa. Adesanya yeah. and yep. Ghanu for Africa. And they're also planning yes. to build a PI in Africa. Very true. I'm um, actually, 
Mexico is now being the first PI being built over Africa. So that shows mm-hmm. you like they're really trying to yeah. go all in on that country. And that's a good thing to bring up, Dom, about, you know, just talking about what the UFC is trying to do to bring in that market. We there's we have a pay-per-view on May 6th, UFC 288 in uh, Newark, New Jersey. Random, by the way, kind of, but. I mean, not that random. I mean, come on. Dom. I prefer Midwest, but it's fine. Yeah, I know. Dom, <laughs> Dom, Dom's like, oh, that's not random. Dom's like, that's random. They should put it in Ohio. That would be a little less random. Yeah. Um, but what I think is interesting is Dana's not shying away about. I, they said it again. They were talking about. So some I don't know where it kind of started, but it had been hit. He had been talking about like potentially doing a. Well, what was it called? Some sort of Mexican like appreciation. Like a Cinco de Mayo you know, weekend. Cinco de Mayo weekend type deal. Yeah. Well, that pay-per-view is that weekend, and it's that Saturday. Yeah. Well, Canelo Alvarez is boxing the same day, May 6th. And at the time, a lot of people just, and I think Dana and the boys just kind of assumed he'd do it in Las Vegas, and we're holding that date open because Dana has a lot of respect for Eddie mm-hmm. Hearn and Blah, blah, blah. That's what he was saying in the post-fight presser. Well, then they say they're actually going to have Canelo fight in Mexico. So Vegas is open. Yeah. So Dominic, they were asking, well, is this pay-per-view potentially being moved to Vegas to do that? And he said no, Like, but that they're still looking into potentially doing this. So are we potentially looking at like a back-to-back fight weekend? And then they even asked Alexa Grasso, and she thought it'd be a great idea for her and Valentina to run it back in two months on that card. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's likely. Yeah. But I'm just saying if you're going to go all out and have this entire weekend built around Cinco de Mayo, and if you, I'm assuming you would plan to have a fight card to go along with it in Vegas, and it's the night before another big pay per view that's going to have the bantamweight title defended. Yeah you're probably going to put some pretty good talent on that guard. I would say, yeah. I'm just saying how, what is that too crazy Dom to be thinking like we could be getting, I'm not saying a pay-per-view caliber card on Friday and Saturday, but I'm saying what if Friday you're your looking fight at fight night action, some fight night, but maybe even with a title at the top, like you would see with the uh, mighty mouse and stuff back in the day. Yeah. <sighs> Man, I'll tell you what, if because we've talked about the back to back thing recently, if we hit on that too, we're on fire right now. With the Joes in 2023, but seriously, maybe you know, I mean, we're here for it. I think the most realistic person from Mexico you can get on that card as a big name is Brandon. He fought in January, it's realistic for him to fight in May. Opponent wise, Pantoja, well, I guess Pantoja, yeah, of course, Pantoja's there. Perfect. So, yeah, put him in, coach. There it is, Vegas, Friday the 5th. Cinco de Mayo celebration, stack it with Mexican fighters. The next day, Newark, New Jersey, UFC 288, Triple C's back. You know, and now that I'm thinking about it, Newark, New Jersey, Aljo and the boys, they train out of that area, uh, Sarah Longo mm. gym. So, okay, mm. I'll take yeah, back apologize. my little hate for it there. Yeah, I'll take it back. Newark. I'll take it back. But still Midwest anywhere soon, just saying, <laughs> Dana and the boys. But, hey, I'm here for a back-to-back weekend. That'd be quite cool. That'd be something yeah. that the UFC's never really done for the most part outside of like an ultimate fighter finale and then a something yeah. on a Saturday. But 
Yeah. But he didn't shy away from it at the post fight presser. He didn't clarify and say, oh, no, this. No, he said, like, we're still looking into it. Like, maybe. But, but I'll say this, Noah. That'd be cool and all. But three Mexican championship fights in Mexico would be a hell of a lot cooler to me. Yeah. That wouldn't be mm. a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would be insane. Insane. Jesus. What a card that would be. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. I don't know that I don't know if they'll emphasize it to the point where you, you know, those three title fight cards feels like a bit of like a big Vegas event or a big New York Madison Square Garden type event. You know, do you do that for Mexico? Like, maybe. Dude, I don't I, know. Like, what kind of arena, what kind of capacity? Like, you know, that, yeah. that probably yeah. plays a factor, I'm sure, in these yeah. decisions. Because you know what's going to be the most comfortable idea to do it. You do it either like an end of the year type show. Like that's the thing. If they want to do this like Mexican or Cinco de Mayo weekend, that's great. But what if like, you know, instead of doing like a Cinco de Mayo, I, mean, I know it makes sense because of the holiday. Mm-hmm. But if you want to do like a, you know, Mexican heritage like weekend or something, mm-hmm. but you did it mm-hmm. like the last weekend of the year and you do an end of the year card in Vegas and you have those three champions on the card. Whew. I mean, that's expecting them to hold the titles until then. But I'm just saying like the end of the year show, you know, these are the kind of shows that get those real stacked three title yeah. fight cards. So you're right. Um, who knows if anything will come out of that whole Cinco de Mayo weekend, but it's very weird and interesting that they're not backing away from it when they literally have a pay-per-view Saturday in Newark, New Jersey, which Dominic apparently can't stand. But um, (laughs) let's talk about Valentina Shevchenko for a second, and we'll kind of bring it back around to what will likely be the next title fight, which is these two again. Yep. Valentina Shevchenko loses her title after this was her, was this her attempt at a title defense number eight? This would have been number eight. Yeah. So she had seven title defenses. One of the best women's fighters in MMA history. I yeah. would argue she's at worst second. I would say second at worst, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to believe Nunez should be put above her just because she beat her twice, but I understand there's some controversy with that second fight especially, but yeah, neither here nor there. One of the best fighters of all time, women's fighters of all time, which is a rare thing to happen in this sport, except, well, we've kind of gotten it more often in the last year and some change than mm-hmm. you normally mm-hmm. do. Let's kind of compare this scenario, the fight we saw, to some of those other ones. Juliana Pena defeating Amanda Nunes. Mm-hmm. You saw when Usman got head kick KO'd by Leon Edwards. And then Alex Pajera knocking out his former kickboxing foe, Israel Adesanya. When you look at and I'm pretty sure, all, well, obviously Pena and Nunes fought, already had their second fight. And Nunez dominated, took her belt back. Actually, I'm not going to compare it to those others. I actually want to stick on the Pena uh, Nunez thing for a second. The idea of this fight being run back, no matter when it is, no matter if it's two months from now or six months from now or whatever. As you sit here today, this is way too early to even be thinking about it, but just work with me here. Do you think that a a second matchup between these two could would be closer in how it would look to the Rose Joanna rematch or the Nunez Pena rematch? And do you get the differences there? Rose mm-hmm. gets the I had to finish think for in a the second. first fight. 
Yeah. Second fight, she comes out and beats her over five rounds, kind of proves she's the better fighter. Yeah. Pena surprises Nunez, gets that finish. Nunez comes back and dominates. Like, what What do you think is the more likely scenario of the two right now? The former, uh, Rose versus Joanna, too, for sure. Mm -hmm. Because, and I'm trying to think um, a little bit more of that first Juliana and Amanda fight, <clears throat> but Pena kind of just kind of bull rushed out of nowhere, right? She wasn't really having much success. So, um, so the way it kind of went was round one, Amanda won by getting the fight to the ground, controlling, yeah, yeah. landing some decent ground and pound. That was pretty much it. She looked good. Round two, she looks extremely gassed, and it's like, right, whoa, what's right, going right. on here? Well, Pena, you know, not with the most technical of strikes, but was, like, starting to land these big shots and capitalized. Kind of, and um, basically, Nunez looked so exhausted that yeah. when that fight got down, Pena was able to get her in a submission and submit her. So, you see, that was probably Nunez's worst performance we'd seen her in a yeah. long time, at least, yeah. and yeah, so that's how that fight went the first time. See, uh, it's so much different from how this fight was going. Because right. again, I know it was two to one Valentina in <clears throat> probably gonna be three to one, but you think so? Like I well consider I like Valentina what if she did win in the fourth? I mean, I don't know. I, oh, I you guess mean if it finished with her in the yeah. choke still? Yeah, oh yeah, that's true. I guess I wasn't thinking about that. I you're yeah. probably right though. Before that, I don't really remember now, it's all blur. But maybe uh, Alexa that, did. Maybe yeah. it ties though. You might have been right. You might have been right though. If, if you don't, if she doesn't get that back, you know that doesn't happen. Yeah, Valentina may uh, be up three one. But regardless of a three one scorecard, it was not a dominant three one. Like yeah, Valentina mm -hmm. won two rounds uh, with ground control. But even I think in both rounds, like Alexa was able to get back up a couple of times. Like she and Valentina wasn't doing a lot of damage on the ground either. She was kind of just content you know alexa was in bad positions got out of them was able to work her way into better positions from the bottom it was not dominant for valentina like it, it she looked great valentina but it wasn't dominant you know is that fair to say I mean, can i say that in the same sentence mm -hmm. so alexa in on the feet was winning the fight which i think is a huge huge thing to have to go into a rematch when that is valentina's primary strength and now you look at Valentina going into a rematch and thinking, oh shit, Alexis just submitted me on the ground, albeit she had my back and, you know, whatever the case. But I think a rematch is very close. I think going into a rematch, odds shouldn't be no bigger than Valentina minus 200. And that's me being generous, to be quite honest with you. And I am going to go out on a limb and say Alexa wins a rematch too. While I'm at it, Might okay. as well. I like you took that a step further. I love it. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Um, I tend to agree with you in the sense of I think it's closer to a Rose Joanna second fight than Pena Nunes second fight. Nothing in this fight should tell you, you know, because you have to take it on a fight by fight basis, right? Like there was enough of an, an anomaly in the Pena Nunes fight to be weary of the idea that Pena could do it a second time. Because yeah. that's how I felt after that fight. I mean, I remember coming on here and just saying, like, look, Pena won the title. It was an amazing upset. I also can't sit here and say that I felt like that was like a title-winning performance. I felt like Nunez lost more than right. Pena won kind of thing. <clears throat> in this case, I don't think that at all. You know, Grasso was in there every step of the way. 
Yeah. Scorecards might have been getting away from her. And that is going to be a thing. And if when they run it back, you know, Valentina pretty much landed the takedowns at will here. Mm-hmm. Uh, very rarely did she whiff on a takedown. And what I thought she did a very good job of, Dom, is she knew when to go for the takedowns because yeah. Yeah. she didn't get she didn't take down Grosso and Grosso would be like right against the fence and be able to use it to get back up. She was taking mm-hmm. her down in the middle of the octagon where yeah. Yeah, you really have to depend on your technique and form to get you up. So there is it would not shock me at all if Valentina wins her title back in a second fight. And I know it wouldn't surprise you either because you're right. not saying even though you're saying Grasso, you think would win wouldn't surprise you. And it wouldn't surprise me either. But do I tend to favor Alexa in a second fight? I think I do. I think I do. And I think it all kind of comes down to where who do I think? can improve more in the area that they lacked here that was a that was i get what you're saying before that second fight is alexa grasso going to be able to work enough on the takedown defense to where she can stay on her feet or is valentina going to be more active in the striking or throw with more power or whatever it might be valentina is an electric striker very good striker very technical yeah but Grasso was better there the yes. whole fight, and I just don't see where Valentina gets that much better. Right, and then she already is. Her. You know, yeah. she's fought with that style. That's what got her to the title. That's what yeah. won her all these championships and these defenses. She's not all of a sudden just going to change who she is on that. Yep. On that. Yep. And you can be look. You don't have to be confident that Alexa can stop the takedowns either. I'm just saying she. I would expect her to come in here thinking. Look, okay, I, I need to prep more for this. Time. You know, right. I need to be more prepared. That's where she yep. thinks she's going to win this fight. Yeah. So every fight starts on the feet. You know that that's kind of a cliche to say, but you know it's a little bit true. So yeah, that's sort of how I break down a second fight. I, I think in a lot of ways it goes somewhat similar to this one. I'm not saying there'd be a finish like we saw, but I expect a close technical fight where both ladies have to use every bit of their skill in every yep. area mm-hmm. to get the edge on those scorecards. hundred percent. And it makes, and I think that's going to make an amazing just intrigue for that second fight. It's a shame for Shevchenko to lose her title like this because, you know, Dana said afterwards that he thinks the idea of doing Shevchenko Nunes three is pretty much done now. Um, it should have been a long time ago. Not, well, <laughs> yeah. I know how me, me and you were not yeah. like as in, impressed by the idea of that fight as some. Yeah. But I also think this hurts the chances of her ever fighting like a Zhang Wei Li. Yeah, I would say probably. I mean, if she gets her title back, maybe you're talking about it again, but you know, does it feel as big though? Does it you know, feel as big, of. you know? And I mean, Amanda Nunes is in a, was in a similar position as Shevchenko is now. So in a way, I could still see that third fight eventually being run if she got the title back. But Dominic, if she loses again, I could see her going back up to Bantamweight. She talked about that, like, but she did say the only way she'd go back up is for the title fight. So, you know, I don't know. But yeah, I don't know how many fights we have left with Valentina if she loses her next fight. And and the same could be said for Amanda, too, just <clears throat> as well, because yeah, we don't know how so. much is left for Amanda. But yeah, I look forward to it. I think it's an awesome rivalry. I think it's an awesome potential rematch. And I think it's awesome to have a potential even trilogy if Valentina were to get the belt yeah. back. So 
Uh, it's an amazing let me, story. Let me put one thing real quick that I mm-hmm. just kind of popped in my head to say. Regardless if Valentina gets her title back, if she does it in spectacular fashion, she may be a champion for another couple of years. But her days of being dominant, I think are done. Yeah. And and I think that's credit to the division. No, that's I don't think what, she's actually. Is. I think this right. performance showed, because I was wondering, you know, I yeah. brought up after the Santos fight, has she maybe lost a step? Right. I right. don't think she lost a step. I think she looked like old the competition has yep. rose to the occasion. For sure. And it's Grosso for sure right now. But don't think that some of these other ladies in the division are not going to give her troubles or even Grosso troubles or each other troubles. You know, Aaron Blanchfield's the one I've been talking about, but Taylor Santos is still right there. I mean, we thought Taylor Santos won the fight in the first place against Valentina. So, yeah. Um, and then you still got girls like Casey O'Neill, Macy Barber, potentially, uh, Manon Fior, like all yeah. these. There's a lot that there could be a lot of hot potato going on with this title, but I think it's a good place for the division to be in. I like the parody. You know, Valentina is an exceptional champion. She was an exceptional champion. She's still an exceptional fighter. But now that she's chasing the belt again, I think things feel – this is what the division kind of needed for, I think, everybody else who was still looking at this division as one of the weak links of women's MMA. Wake up. To come around to the idea of, wait a minute, there's a lot more talent in this division than there was when they introduced it. It's finally at a healthy point where we have multiple contenders that can potentially win a title depending on the matchup, depending on the night. Yeah, and I just want to actually bring up a a topic to kind of finish from a couple (laughs) weeks ago because now we can discuss it again a little bit further. We said... If Valentina wins, Blanchfield got next. If Alexa wins, it throws a wrench in Blanchfield's future. Well, mm. Alexa Grasso just won. Do we get Santos Blanchfield in the meantime, new number one contender fight? And we get to see that fight, which was originally planned, because I would say yes. I will say yes, because I know Blanchfield said she wanted the title next. She called for the title next. But when asked if she would take another fight, she said, if that's what they want, then I would take another fight. And it's like, so if she's not going to hold out for it, yeah, then I right, don't think, right. I don't think they're going to like, wait, you know, and it may, but Dom, if for some reason they run this back, um, Cinco de Mayo and yeah, you know, yeah, this crazy two months, idea, then she can, this crazy <laughs> idea that I'm talking about, if that were to happen, yeah, then maybe you, you don't. Yeah. But, um, I think more than likely we see a five round main event, Taylor Santos, Aaron Blanchfield. And I, Cannot wait to see that if that happens. I'm here for that. I'm going to go one step further, and this may be a discussion for two more weeks. But if Casey O'Neill comes back and beats Jennifer Maya, let's go ahead and do a main event. Also, Casey O'Neill versus Manon Fior as well. We'll get them all going, baby. Yeah, there you go. How long's Manon out for? She's still injured, right? Yeah, you got to figure by the time Casey fights in two weeks and is ready to fight again later in the year, hopefully Manon would be ready. Because it wasn't like an injury. It wasn't like a torn ACL or anything that's got her out, right? I don't think it was anything too bad. Just something enough to not allow her to get this shot before Mm. Alexa, I think. so. But yeah, good shout there with Casey O'Neill. We'll be talking about her pretty soon. Um, Yeah, I think that pretty much covers everything for this co-main event. And uh, Mm -hmm. we got one more for the headliners here. Mm. Shavkat Rachmanov gets the third round submission. Look at all the submissions on the night, Dom. I mean, the top three fights all submissions. Uh, he gets that done over Jeff Neal, four oh. minutes, 17 seconds around number three. Shout out Laura Sanko. 
<laughs> well, yeah, of course. And uh, yeah. I know, that, like, it's funny, right? Like, you know, Laura, like everybody's saying she was simping over Shavkat. But in all seriousness, I want to give Laura Senko a shout here because I think she did a better job in promoting Shavkat than really anybody else has done up to this point. Ooh, Noah, bravo. Great point. Great point. I mean, like, it's obvious. I mean, married woman right yeah whatever i know james Krause shit whatever i mean let's let's try not to be like stupid guys for a second and just like yeah consider the fact that this is a married woman she's obviously like super what's the word like she's super high uh, on this guy's talent yeah like she thinks this guy's gonna be like an amazing talent as yeah. do a lot of us um and yeah it's fun to make the jokes and stuff and even the the team she was working with like they were all making the jokes and stuff but in all seriousness, I think she deserves a lot of praise, and I hope that the UFC recognized the job she did in promoting a fighter like Shavkat, who doesn't speak English, who I think the UFC is high on, but maybe was wondering how do we really get this guy to that next level. So going in, Laura didn't doing a lot of good work, getting a lot of social media clips to pop off with her, you know, simping over Shavkat, and then Dominic he goes in there and has an absolute banger. With Jeff, fight of the night, fight of the night. Shavkat did not dominate the performance, but he did not lose a single round of this fight, and I think that was very telling because Jeff Neal's damn good. This actually might have been. I saw someone say this was the best performance of Jeff Neal's career, and that's even considering what he did to Luke. Now I don't know if I can go that far, but this looked like the Jeff Neal that fought against Vicente Luque. He did not look at all compromised. Yeah. Yeah, uh, by the the weight miss, and yeah, I know that sucks, but you know, Dana, I'm I actually think it's cool. Dana still gave him his uh, fight of the night bonus money, so you know, I think that's cool. Mm-hmm. You know, debate about it what you will, because it was like a four pound weight miss. I know we've been hard on guys in the past for yeah, lack of professionalism, whatever, but you never know what these guys got going on or girls, and um, I'll let them figure that out behind the scenes. But for what he came in here and showed he was game, he was ready, and he put everything on the line to get that victory. But Shavkat is already ready to be a champion. Like, he is already a championship-caliber fighter, and it showed here. He ate some bombs. Credit to Shavkat's chin. Credit to Jeff Neal for being able to land. Shavkat was hurt. Mm. Was that tell me if I'm misremembering this fight? So I don't think Shavkat lost a single round, but in round three, isn't that when Jeff Neal hurt him the worst? Like had him staggered, wobble. Uh, and right after he did that is when Shavkat came back, started hurting Neil real bad, and then gets that submission locked in. If yeah. I'm remembering that correctly, talk about a guy, you know, what they say about a wounded animal, nothing more dangerous than a wounded animal because they feel like mm. they have nothing to lose. They go into a a, a kill mode protect themselves uh shavkat did that if that's if i'm remembering the fight correctly that's what we saw here he called out colby covington oh dominic Ooh. i know you said the biggest fight for the rest of the year on verbal sparring was uh colby versus hamza if hamza's truly moving to 185 yep. hey, here's your new hamza shavkat yep. rachmanov uh mm-hmm. put him in there Dana said they, uh, one of the guys at the press conference asked Dana if there was any update on Colby Covington. Dana said he's ready to fight. We've offered him a couple opponents. He's accepted them, but they just haven't worked out. 
if he's truly accepting anybody or anybody that makes sense, this Jafar needs that kind of fight to project to Ooh. potentially propel him into title contention. And if Colby Covington were to beat Shavkat Rachmanov, I mean, how do you deny him potentially getting another shot at the title? Oh, it's, it, it would be such a massive win for both guys because whoever wins that fight deserves a title. That's how massive mm-hmm. that fight is. How many times have I came on this show and talked about these young prospects, young phenoms that look like they have all the potential in the world, and I'm just like, you know, it's cool to see them run through everybody, but I want to see him be tested. <laughs> well, Shavkat took the fucking UFC version of the ACT last night, and he passed and got a 30 out of 36, I think, a really good grade on an ACT. To go through this type of war with Jeff Neal was unbelievable. To have the resolve, to have the chin to take these shots, and then to be able to land back, and then the finish was just brutal, disgusting. Neil like went out on his feet. Yeah, this guy is special. This is a special type of talent. Kudos to you. The shout out for Laura, by the way, the way that you kind of put that into my brain is a great point, and it ties in because I remember hearing at one point during this fight, Joe Rogan had said, you know, this guy's an elite talent, but it's Nobody knows his name. Nobody knows his name. But now he's been on this big pay-per-view and he gets this, mm-hmm. you know, big fight with a top 10 guy. And you factor in the Laura Senko pre-fight into the fight that you get. Yeah. It's a perfect storm for a young fighter like this that's in entering his prime, 5-0 in the UFC, 17-0 overall with 17 finishes. How often do you see guys with that many wins and they're all by finish? Him and Colby is massive. I, I said the same thing you just said last night. If Hamzat is for sure going to 185, that's what you told me. His manager and stuff had kind of talked about that too. Colby versus Shavkat is massive for a five-round main event or a premier bout on a pay-per-view, even a co-main. If you're going to have like a, <laughs> a like a one-title fight pay-per-view, put that as a co-main. That's a big fight with so many questions, so many big implications. Oh, that's the fight to make. That is the yeah. fight to make. You know, I'm not sure how much those clips of Laura really got outside of the UFC bubble. Maybe it was mostly guys that fans that are already aware of Shavkat. But what's telling to me is like the first clip where she was like, he gives me chills or whatever. They were ranking their like top five prospects in the UFC. Dominic, she didn't even have him at number one. She had him at number two. But did you see the clip of her talking about Hamza being number one going around? No, I did not. No, I didn't. So yeah. clearly yeah. she was able to do a pretty good job of showing people that whether or not he's the top prospect in the UFC, he's a guy you need to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah. And I think it worked because going in, he obviously had a great placement on the card in that feature bout. But also I think it raised his value just a little bit. Even if it was just the team C smidge, it was enough to where people were going – Maybe, you know, this card, you know, has John Jones on it. It's got another title fight on it. And I'm kind of talking more on a casual side. People okay. who maybe aren't as aware of top to bottom how stacked this card was. They're like, you know, but then the Shavkat guy that I've been hearing a lot about, 16 wins, 16 finishes. Man. You know, let me see what this guy's all about. Well, make it 17 for 17. And, and uh, in a fight like it? that. Yeah. And, that, and actually, uh, that's one last thing I want to say before we move on. Dominic, how often, and some people, when they comment, they do not like when we say this about 
great fighters. You know, we've had this uh, people come at us when we talked about Islam like this. When you have these fighters who look indestructible, who look perfect, who are tearing through everybody, we say, we've said it, I think, about Kayla Harrison, about Islam, about some others. You want to see how they react when they're not just running through people, when they're in a dog fight, when they get dropped, when whatever happens. We actually had two examples of that on this card. Shavkat here, Ian Gary, deeper on the prelims. Oh, yeah. Yeah, true. So you want to see something like that because that'll tell you like truly how great they are when when not everything's going perfect for them. Mm-hmm. Can they adapt? Can they work on the fly? You know, I I think Shavkat showed all of that here. And you know, shout out to Jeff Neal. I think he I think Dana I think he earned a lot of respect here from oh yeah Dana and the boys. Obviously, hopefully next fight makes weight. But assuming he can, he can do that, you know, I think he's due for another big fight in his future as well. Well, you know what? And I'll say something too on the side of Jeff Neal. He's probably another guy that probably doesn't have the respect that he deserves. He's been a pretty underrated guy yeah. to be number seven in this weight class. So that well, was right a big now for he's him. certainly certainly underrated right now because if you look at what he did here, being the only guy to really show any sort of yeah. offense against Shavkat. And then you look at what he did to Vicente Luque, who, you know, looked that speaks imp- a lot impenetrable. Yeah. You know, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson put such a beat down on Vicente and Vicente didn't even go down. Yeah. You know, that shows like he is vastly improved from the guy who was losing to Wonderboy to Neil Magny in back to back fights. Yeah. And uh, he's dangerous. He's dangerous. He he. Had, there were points in this fight where I thought that there was a chance that Shavkat oh, yeah. could go down. Yes, for sure. And if that's the case, and Shavkat showed an amazing chin, some of those shots probably drop anybody oh. else, and that's exactly why. Yeah. You know, give him anybody else in this top ten, and I mean, run it back with Wonderboy. There's a, there's um, you know, it might not go the same as it did the first time. I'm just saying. Yeah, love that. Uh, so we will move on more coming from UFC 285, but we do have one fight announcement to talk about real quick, Dom. She's been busy so far this year. Jessica Andrade, <laughs> dude, looking to make her third fight in five months. May 6th, UFC 288, she will be taking on Yan Zhao Nan. And I actually think both women deserve a lot of credit for taking this fight because they both just fight the baddest and best, and they don't care if it's a bad matchup for them or whatever. Zhao Nan coming off of probably her best win of her UFC career for, or not her, uh, yeah, first main event against Mackenzie yeah. Dern. Yeah. Gets a big decision win there. Jessica Andrade obviously coming off that disappointing loss to Aaron Blanchfield, but before that looked absolutely incredible mm-hmm. against uh, Lauren Murphy. Yep. So now she's back at 115. How do you expect this one to go, Dom? Do you think that the, you know, what, what, what do you kind of, are you hoping Andrade just really sticks it out in one division or are you all right with this kind of hopping back and forth? No, if anybody's going to do it, it's her. I love it. I think it's <laughs> awesome. She's like, well, shit, things are kind of busy up here at 125. I just lost. Might as well go back down to 115 and see how everybody's doing. And uh, that's a great fight, man. Her and Yan Zhao Nan. I think that's a really intriguing stylistic matchup. Yan Jianan is a very good talent. I know she's went under the radar. You know, she's had a loss um, to Carla. That was a big loss for her in her biggest moment. So she did falter there. But then to bounce back like she did against Mackenzie Dern looked really good in that fight for mm-hmm. five rounds. 
it said a lot to me. If she can beat Jessica Andrade, she's right back on that horse. She's right back as a title uh, contender in 115-pound division. And if Andrade wins, she was already a contender. And uh, now she's definitely a contender. This also rules out the possibility of Andrade and Rose. So please, please give me Lamosh versus Zhang Wei Li and Tatiana Suarez versus Rose Namajunas UFC. Let's get it going, baby. I'm just I'm putting together all these weight classes, 115, 125, the women's divisions. I got it out. Yeah. I got the top five figured out, Noah. Mm-hmm. I was with you, and then you put Lemos in the title fight. And I'm like, you have to mm. just accept it at this point, Noah. You just I, I know. I really have to, like, not die on that hill because, like, it's really not a bad – it's actually a really fun fight. It's a sick fight. And yeah. her beating Marina Rodriguez, I mean, that's yeah. really yeah. good stuff. And, I mean, nobody really had looked – I mean, Marina Rodriguez had looked really good over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. All right, fine. I mean, you yes. know, I said 0% chance. Give me probably one. Probably higher than that. Yes, <laughs> yes. I'm not going to say I'll give you half a percent. No, I'm okay. Just, I'm just kidding. Okay. But, um, Dominic, as we get into uh, the rest now, um, the way I'm going to do this, uh, we're kind of just, just switching a up little... a little bit. Instead of having specific fights on our script, we're – what I'm going to do is I'm going to split it up by like we have two more fights on the main card. Then we have a batch on the prelims and a batch on the early prelims. So I'll go through the main card uh, results here. We'll kind of do our takeaways for that. And then okay, go okay. through the results of the prelims, takeaways there. And then we'll do early prelims, takeaways there. Sound good, Don? Perfect. Perfect. So rest of the main card, only two fights to talk about here because we had three headliners that we discussed. Matos Gamrot gets a split decision win over Jalen Turner in a very interesting fight as both guys were looking to take the next step in their evolution. And to open our main card, Dom, there was a lot of drama at Ginger's house as we were sweating getting this fight on the TV in time. But Bo Nickel makes it look pretty easy. First round submission win over Jamie Pickett. Dominic, my big takeaway, I'm actually going to tell you a weird take. I, I'm admitting this is a hot take. Okay. This is a spicy take. It's a weird take. It's probably not one many people are going to – I'm not sure how many people are actually going to have strong feelings about this fight one way or another, but I was thinking about this Gamrot-Turner fight today. Okay. So Matos Gamrot gets a split decision win. And okay. I would I would, I would, would say I thought Gamrot won the fight. You know, 2-1, to one, how I had it. That 30-27 is a little suspect to me. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, whatever. Neither here nor there. The right guy won, in my opinion. But I think you could have scored it for Turner. But I thought Gamrod did enough to win. Despite that, going into the fight, okay, even though I put a bet on Jalen Turner by finish, I did that for the value, not because I actually thought he was going to win. If you ask me going into the fight, who has the greater potential in this lightweight division to potentially compete for a title or win a title? Well, truthfully... I don't really love either guy's chances to get to that level, which might be a hot take in of itself. Ooh, but okay. I would have told you Gamrot. Mm-hmm. Then Gamrot wins the fight. And yet, if you asked me that same question now, I'd say Jalen Turner. Do you that? The, okay, you're not. You're not. I, I was expecting a little more of a reaction, but I, I take it that. Are you just thinking about like? Have you even processed what I just said, or is it is it hitting you? Like how? Are, I think going in, although I thought it was a tough fight for Jalen, I would have looked at him as the younger guy that is built 
so uniquely for 155 yeah. pounds sure. as someone that just in the future, more longevity, I saw more potential in, I think, over the long haul. And I think I do agree with you that in hind- after the fight concludes, even though Gamrot wins, I still lean Turner for the potential okay. going forward. So, yeah, I agree. I just had so, to. Well, yeah, but you have to think it's probably a little weird that I was more on Gamrot. He wins mm-hmm. the fight. And now mm-hmm. I've said I'm Flipped. thinking Turner has the. Yeah. The reason is there is just this one thing that just keeps sticking out of these Gamrot fights to me. Obviously, he's a terrific wrestler and he's mm-hmm. great at holding the position. Uh, great in scrambles. We saw that against Armand in that main yeah. event. Yeah. Got a great motor, all of it. Mm-hmm. Dominic, when damage is such a key part of this scoring criteria, I just don't see enough of it from him when he gets these fights in these positions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Jalen Turner, this is going to come off like a bit of a slight, and I don't mean it to because I think Jalen Turner's great, but I think the way I kind of view Jalen Turner going in is like what you just said, how uniquely built he is, the tallest lightweight. I think he's got the longest reach at lightweight. Uh, He had all these finishes in a row. You know, looked like a guy who had really just come into his own and being such a tough matchup for a lot of these smaller size lightweights. I almost looked at it at him as a bit of a gimmick. Like, uh, like, you know, you go to a pizza shop and it says they have the world's largest pizza. And uh, it's really just a slice of pizza that's, essentially the slide the size of a entire you know yeah. pizza pie right like it's a gimmick because literally they just cooked the full pizza pie but put it in the shape of a slice <laughs> okay yeah yeah you get what i'm saying like i, I kind I of view jalen turner is like he's got these great headlock like little headliner things to throw out like the biggest lightweight the tallest lightweight the longest reach he's six two he knocks out everybody or submits everybody he fights but I just didn't really see him ever actually getting to the dance, the big dance. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now I can see it at least a little bit more. And that was in a losing effort because okay. I thought when this fight stood standing, um, I thought he looked pretty good. I thought uh, he, he obviously it was a tough matchup for Gamrot in that realm. Uh, Gamrot's biggest skill in this fight was anytime he got hurt and looked like he was about to be dropped. Yeah. He was magnificent. Yeah. And immediately grabbing a leg and not letting go. Yeah. Very good and reaction. I mean, multiple times he got hurt on the feet and ended mm-hmm. up on top. Yeah. Yeah. If you're doing that, I mean, that's de- yeah. when you're talking defensively, that's an underrated part of Gamrot's game. But I just worry about Gamrot in terms of like the Armand fight, he did end up getting the nod on the scorecards. But I think more times than not, you run that same fight back and it goes the exact same way. I think Armand's getting those scorecards more times than he isn't. Yeah. And if Gamrod continues to abide by this game plan where if he's not able to get like a submission finish like he did against Jeremy Stevens real quick or whatever and plays the control game, holds top position, that leaves him very vulnerable to lose rounds by simply getting hit with one or two big shots. Yeah. Which is sort of what we ran into here with Jalen Turner. He dominated in terms of, holding top control and getting the fight to the ground. But Jalen Turner being that one, I think he did a pretty good job defensively off his back to get he did yeah. back up, but you know, having these long limbs and probably the strength to just get himself against the fence and get back up. We were kind of wondering if he might steal a round or two by simply landing a couple hard shots that hurt Gamera and him not actually landing that much damage 
back. That's my yep. thing with Gamrot. I think, is there a world where he is competing for a title or a champion? Yes. Actually, it's not too far out of the realm of possibility because he's not that far away. Right. But I think there's just too many, too much of a chance that he could leave himself vulnerable to those momentum swings in a fight very quickly, especially when the, the judging criteria nowadays emphasizes score or uh, damage yeah, over so control. much more than control. Yep. Yep. Those are very good points. Something I didn't really think about, but I would agree. I Jalen's stock rises more. I even think than Gamrot's in a losing outing here because he looked that good. And this was a short notice fight for both guys. Yes. Jalen was in a camp for Dan Hooker. So he had more time to train, but, I don't doubt for a second that Matos isn't training. He didn't fight Benil all that long ago either. So, you know, th this is a great win for Gamrot, but you bring up good points, and you even said it last night as we were watching. There's just that damage isn't there. Imagine once he gets these guys down, if he's doing something with it, we're talking about an elite level lightweight here. Like, um, there just... was a couple times he had, he snuck in a crucifix out of nowhere. Like I was like shocked when he had it like in, and I was like, whoa. Where did yeah. that come from? Which again then, speaks to the creativity yeah. and the ability to get it there. But then he wouldn't be really able to get anything off yeah. before Turner escaped out of it. Yeah. So I'm not saying that maybe in his next fight, he does show more of that, but through the last three fights now, mm -hmm. that's been a keen takeaway is that if, if he's able to get that fight to the ground, which is where he wants to because he's not exactly one of the better strikers in the division. I'm not seeing the accumulation of damage to clearly take rounds, especially if his opponent's able to get back to their feet and do damage of their own. Yeah, uh, I think that's very well said. I I'm really interested to see how both these guys get matched up to next because I feel like they both deserve to... like. Gamrot deserves to fight someone ahead. I know it's busy up there right now, so he might not get that. Mm -hmm. But same for Jalen. Like neither guy necessarily deserved to fight backward, and if they do, not very much. This was a really good fight. It was a high level fight. You know, we've seen Jalen been starching people these past four or five in a row, but now we saw him go 15 straight minutes. He can hang for 15 straight minutes against someone that stylistically isn't a great matchup with him, and he could have arguably won the fight. Both guys do come out with positives. But again, I think more positives or more takeaways for the loser in this instance. Mm -hmm. So, um, Before we get to the prelims, Dom, what would be your big takeaway from Bo Nichols' uh, first showing on an official UFC card? Welcome to the UFC. <laughs> <laughs> the, I mean, but did we expect anything else um, is the thing. Now, we had some technical difficulties getting this fight on. Mm -hmm. So I, we did not get to necessarily see the talking points that I've been seeing nut shot is yep. on the takedown. Now people I need are talking to about, they're this. talking about toe gate. I think nut okay. gate yeah. is the, is the bigger one for me. Yeah. So I need to, I've not been able to obviously go back and see this yet today, but I, I would like to see this um, just as for my own sake, but we tuned in once it was on the ground, we finally got our technical difficulties sorted out and Bo was doing both things. Now I saw more people though, Kind of even saying, you know, yeah, he got the first round sub, but you had this opening for the arm triangle forever, and it took you way too long to get it. It took you way too long to get into the right position, yada, yada, yada. 
and while I'm not agreeing agreeing with that, I'm just bringing it up. But like, really, guys, it was his UFC debut. He's fighting a guy with five times the amount of his experience, and you're complaining that he didn't lock in the submission 45 seconds sooner. <laughs> what the fuck, man? This guy is something special. He's four and zero, four finishes, a national champion wrestler. He's well spoken. There's a reason the UFC put him on a main card. There's a reason he opened the main card in his UFC debut, and it's because they believe in his potential. His skill set is something we don't have much of at 185, and with that skill set, he can very quickly launch himself into title contention. We talked about on Friday, he there could be a world where he is 8-0, eight, eight professional fights, and fighting for a title. That's just not out of the realm of possibility here, if we're being quite frank. Very in- excited to see what comes next for him. <clears throat> How quickly are they going to push a guy like Bo. We, we've got a lot of young star potential now in the UFC. We've got the Patties. We've got the Bows. We've got... Um, Ian Gary. Oh, I mean, Ian Gary was on this card. I'm blanking on a couple others, obviously, but there are a lot of young people that have potential to become something big. Bo's ahead of all of them right now, and mm-hmm. it's been one fight, if we're talking star potential, okay? Well, be, I mean... And, and, I, mean, I, and I, 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 we've seen... Sorry, I didn't finish yet. This no, is, I, you're good. I went off and then forgot to say my main point. We've seen these other prospects that can be stars have very lateral moves, mm-hmm. not necessarily mm-hmm. many vertical ones, okay? Ian, I believe, took... He's kind of had three straight lateral moves, in my opinion. Song Kanan eh, may have been a little bit step up before, but you get it. Yeah. What are they going to do with Bo? We're going to go same level as Jamie. We're going to up it. We're going to up it big. I just, that's all. But now go ahead. Sorry. No, yeah, that's a great point. Uh, yeah, technical difficulties aside, it looked like a nut shot. Um, <laughs> but he said he was uh, interviewed immediately after, and he said, no, it wasn't. He said, I hit him in the thigh, the inner thigh, and he like winced, like trying to pretend like it was a nut shot to try to get let get the ref to break him up and have Bo mm-hmm, lose that mm-hmm. position. You know, I don't know. I saw people saying both ways. Like it kind of looked like he was aiming for the thigh and it like ricocheted into the nuts. That's how uh, it looked to me. Okay. Um, you know, did I look at it super closely? Did I put it under the mic the you know the lens? I mean the microscope, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe not. I was just looking at it on my phone when I woke up, you know, yeah. you know so I, but I mean, what I hate to say it like this, but if it was a nut shot and the ref treats it like such, separates them, whatever. Yeah, I know. Do you, what are the chances that it doesn't just happen again where he gets that same position and takes them right down again? I know anything can happen, but right, right. Again, if it was like, I hate that for Jamie Pickett because you know you should get some time to recover because nobody yep. likes to get kneed in the nuts, Dom. I can tell you, it don't feel good. This is true. Um, but not not a whole lot to say. I mean, when you're talking about star potential, you know, he definitely has that it factor. He's got that yep. ability to talk to talk and walk to walk. Yep. Uh, 4-0 as a professional mixed martial artist. Uh, hasn't even seen – has he even seen the second round in his career? I, I don't think he's seen longer than two – or what was this, <laughs> 254? I don't think he's seen longer than three minutes. So, I as of now, I sort of expect a, a – a, a, God, I don't know. Like, part of me wants to say I expect a like longer build up to him getting to those top tier 
Am I crazy way. for saying I kind of don't want that though? I don't think you're crazy. I mean, it could in hindsight turn out the, you know, yeah, that's the prior. problem. Yeah. But no, I mean, I think his wrestling, he's one of the most accomplished collegiate wrestlers ever. ever. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, wrestling's so important in MMA. Yeah, he's see the, the see the heavyweight Q&A to hear about that, and, by the way. I mean, they touched on that. And look at that. the division he's in, Dom. This, you know, this isn't like when I – he's he in a lot of ways, he does have similarities to Patty Pimblett in terms of star potential and, you know, um, kind of the hype for him coming in, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, where I'm hard on Patty Pimblett is not actually due to Patty Pimblett's – like, I think Patty Pimblett's very talented. I think he's very good. He's exciting. He's fun. Mm-hmm. But he fights at lightweight. Yeah. <laughs> Bo Nickel yeah. fights at middleweight. And you consider the wrestling factor. Derek Brunson's about to retire. Who's going to be it. the top wrestler in the elite of the elite at middleweight moving forward? It, it's already Bo Marvin Nickel. Marvin Vittori, he's not there. I guess. Marvin yeah. Vittori, like the best wrestler. I mean, yeah. Bo Nickel has such an advantage in that department. Like, you have to look at him as like, he could take down so many of these top 10 middleweights. And yeah, that's the thing. Like, are they going to be able to get back up? Are they going <laughs> to yeah, be exactly. able to defend off submissions and yeah. you know ground and pound? Part of me wants to see him just straight up go like get <laughs> shot out of a cannon, but yeah, it won't surprise me if we see some smaller steps to getting to that point. I mean, Dana made him take a second contender series fight. That's true. That's true. That's a good point. I think there is something in their mind, in Dana's mind and the boys' mind. And I wish it wasn't this way. They look at that 4-0 record and say he's not ready. Or they look at it like he needs more experience. Yeah. Maybe he does. They're smarter than I am. I'll let them make the decisions. But based off of what he already came in talent-wise and based off what he's shown in these few fights, I don't see how he's not at least game for a top 10 matchup already. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying he wins, but I'm saying he's game. Yeah. I I would say at worst, you give him one more. And if he dominates again, mm-hmm. let's go. That's probably what you do. I mean, do you really go from, I mean, you don't go from Jamie Pickett to, to, you know, Acosta or, a, I'm trying to think know, of like, I'm trying to think of some middleweights outside of this top 15. Kelvin's number 15. What it's if he fought Mark? People. What if he fought Mark Andre Barriol? Yeah, that is a middleweight. He's coming off a big win. Same timetable. He beat Julian. Veteran guy with a lot of experience as well. Yeah, or, you know, just something like that. A step up. I think that's a step up from Jamie as well. You beat someone like that on that level. Can I get a little nuts real quick? Please do, because I need to get more people in my brain in this Uh, division. Robocop. Holy shit. Yeah. Ooh, wow. That's pretty Gregory Rodriguez. Gregory Rodriguez. That and GD and Jokwani. Oh, yeah, there you go. Now we're flowing with some of these guys on the outside looking in at middleweight. I don't love that matchup for Cheedy at all because I think that's where Cheedy would be uh, most vulnerable is against a guy that's got that great wrestling. But give me uh, Gregory Rodriguez seven days a week, twice on Sunday. And if anybody's going to be scary for Bo on the feet, I mean, Robocop hits like a truck. And yeah. if he can even withstand a punch that's going to say a lot, but then if he can just completely nullify that and get Robocop yeah. down and finish him, I like that. I like did we do, did we do something? Did I just do something? I think I just did something. 
I think our matchmaking on this episode has been one of our best in a long time. I'll say yeah, that. There we go. We're just giving ourselves pats on the back left and right. <laughs> and I love it. Um, we'll move on to the prelim. So Dominic, your prelim results, prelim headliner, Cody Garbrandt gets the unanimous decision win over Trevin Jones. Drickus Duplessis gets a TKO due to corner stoppage. They threw in the towel with one second left in round two. Uh, he gets the win over Derek Brunson and my, under or my fight to not go to round three bet cash because of it. Uh, so thank you very much to his corner. Uh, no thanks to you, Herb Dean. Yeah, yeah, that got a little around. rough to watch. after all the times we've defended him on this show and he did that. Yeah. to me. tried to, anyways. Yeah, Amanda Hivas gets her first win at women's flyweight with a unanimous decision win over Viviani Ariujao and Mark Andre Barriol, who we just talked about, got a second round TKO over the Cuban Missile Crisis, Julian. Marquez, mm-hmm. maybe the second biggest L he has taken in his career behind the one he took with Miley Cyrus. Yeah, that was such a legendary moment. That, that was me. That was wrong. so. That was so mean to me. What am I doing here? I'm just setting myself up to get my ass fucking kicked by all these people at some point. Anyways, Dominic, there's four fights right there. Your prelim card that was on ESPN News, ESPN the Network, or no ESPN News and ESPN Plus. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. So I'll let you just start kind of a big takeaway you had across these four fights you don't have to go in order but just you know what's something that stuck out to you either good or bad on these four fights oh man what is it they were all so different like <clears throat> do you takeaway. want me to go first if you want to sometimes well I, I i'm gonna i'm gonna say this i'm, I'm gonna go with Drickus, and it's not even yeah. the win necessarily this guy's gonna be in the top five <laughs> And he is so vulnerable. He is so vulnerable, man. Dominic, like Dominic, I've never seen a guy. This guy is top five in a UFC division in the world. Yeah. In yeah. every fight from round one to round three, he looks like if I were fighting in the octagon for a minute. Like, I mean, this it's guy, crazy. he looks, I've never seen a guy look more gassed, look yeah. more out of just out of like not in the fight anymore and he just keeps winning he just keeps winning and it's and it's literally brad tavares great win darren till great win Derek brunson great win like and it's progressively better competition each fight progressively a harder stylistic matchup each fight and And what i dare i say like each fight he's progressively looked more and more vulnerable yeah, like the fight with Brad Tavares went 15 minutes back and forth war, and he never looked as tired as he did in the first round of the fight with Derek Brunson. And maybe it's because Derek was wrestling him and stuff. So I, you know, credit there. But wow, I think that's the biggest thing for me is that he has managed to get into the top five of 185 with great wins, but being so vulnerable compared to everybody else in the division. Let it's me ask a you a question. Really about interesting that. thing. Yeah. Let me ask you a question about that. Just knee-jerk reaction. I'm going to give you two paths here. Choose your own adventure. All right. Okay. What do you think is more likely in terms of what's next for Drickus Duplessis? Okay. Do you think it's more likely that that gets exposed, those factors, against one of the very top of the division in like his next fight? You know, that that looking gassed right away. You know, starts getting a little wild, leaving some openings, whatever, you know, that gets exposed. Or do you think it's just a enough of a credit to this guy's heart, this guy's resolve 
this guy's IQ that he's able to withstand any sort of punishment coming his way and still find a way to get the win each time out. Which one's more likely to you that he could find, he could have a similar performance that he's had his last three fights and get a win over a Vittori, over a, um, who's Vittori, Vittori's fighting? Um, the leads a, the leads a, Cannoneer, a Whitaker, Costa, a Whitaker, a Cannoneer, yeah. or that one of those guys at the top just exposes this once and for all. No, I think the latter for sure. Like if he fights this style against Marvin and Whitaker, Izzy, because Izzy's number one, right? He's mm -hmm. not the champ technically. Even maybe Jared Cannoneer, he's losing, I think. But what the fuck do I know? I mean, <laughs> Maybe he's just got that. I mean, there's no maybe. He's got he's that got dog that in him. Yeah. That's for sure. But you know like, what fight's going to happen next, right? Like, it's very clear he's going to fight Paulo Costa next. I mean, there's no doubt in my you mind. Think so? Does that? Those two just seem built to fight one another. That that could be fun. I mean, that talk about look at what Paulo. Look at how Paulo did. Paulo not just have a very similar fight to what we're talking about with Luke Rockhold. I mean, the weirdest fight in UFC history, but yeah, similar for sure. And Drickus Duplessis <laughs> e might have the second, third, and fourth weirdest fight in <laughs> UFC history. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a I, good, I, I like that. Talk fight. about talk about some weird. I mean, it's going to be great, but talk about just and it's probably it's going to be great, Dom, but it's probably going to be sloppy as shit. And one of those guys probably ain't making it to the final bell. Like, I don't know, mm, man. I, I don't know what to think of Drickus in terms of uh, being because he. I mean, he's officially like a like a contender. I mean, he's there. Yeah, yeah. He beat Derek Brunson, who's one fight away from a title fight. You know, you're there. Yeah, and oh, yet man. I said, and I think I do tend to kind of believe. I I have to think, you know, come into his next fight with some pessimism now i did that here i sort of favored brunson to get the win here i favored darren till to maybe get the win against trickus and he's favored in these fights and then he goes out there and wins but he, he somehow i feel like this is gonna end badly like this way that he fights just like a yeah. bull in a china shop and just with like i feel like you can only do that for so long where his technique seems to go out the window at the midway point of round one or in the beginning yeah. of round two. And, you know, I think what's been lucky for him, the guys he's fighting kind of do the same thing. They Derek can't Brunson, keep up with his like pace. Yeah. Derek Brunson looked, I mean, they were having a wild fight here. Yeah. And, you know, it was I, crazy. I hate to see Derek Brunson go down the way he did, you know, my, my bet aside, whatever. But, um, you never like to see a guy who's already had been finished a few times via strikes have that happen to him again. But one of the underrated parts about Brunson's game, you know, I talk about his wrestling all the time because that's something that stands out against the pack here at the top of middleweight. But his power is very underrated. Oh, no. He's built like an ox. He's super yeah. strong. Yeah. And, you know, that showed here. They were throwing bombs back and forth. But, like, as tired as – you know, lost or not as lost, as tired as, um, I guess, just out of it, Drickus mm -hmm. looked. Mm -hmm. Brunson looked even more yeah. so in both yeah. of those. And you yeah. look at the last fight, Darren Till, same way. Brad Tavares, the fight before that, battered, but, you know, same thing, really. Like, it just... Yeah, dude. I, like I don't... It. I just don't... If he fights like a Robert Whitaker, 
which I don't think they'll have him do as his next fight. But I don't think did, that goes well. You got to think that 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 doesn't happen with Bobby Knox, right? I don't think it happens with any of these guys ahead. I don't of think him. it happens. You look at how Vittori fought guys like Paulo Costa and Jack Hermanson. Yeah, no chance that that. And Martin you're fighting Vittori guys that know how that. to manage their gas tank that don't put themselves in danger mm-hmm. very much. If if Drickus can somehow find a way to like keep the aggressive like finishing prowess but just reel it in a little I, bit reel it in Hone preserve it in. some energy it's the defense is but it was you know, crazy great. Dom, this like, fight because i felt like he was starting to get tired at least in terms of how he looked you know how who knows how tired he really was he got the win yeah but he started to look tired before really these two guys were letting loose in there like it was kind yeah. of great because i think even rogan said that during the broadcast and you know what <laughs> i mean shit it probably wouldn't matter the guy's been to like i think two decisions in 21 fights maybe just one decision with brad but uh i mean main event next fight night for, for i Drinkus? mean i think that's what you need to see right yeah that's what you need to see because Obviously, I have a hard time seeing this guy be able to make it through five rounds, win or lose. But you know, I'd give him a chance. I mean, he's gonna. I mean, he has a chance to prove me wrong because he's already been doing it. Like him and Costa is interesting, but if he gets put put as a five, anybody else, it's. I mean, Costa. I don't know what's going on with Costa. Like shit's kind of weird over there. That's true too. It's the secret juice. Yeah. So I mean, I would love to see that as a five round main event. I think it makes sense. Both guys need to kind of prove that they can do it still at that level. You know, sign yeah. me up. But it's just going to be yeah. weird as shit, Dom. Yeah, if Paulo's not available, I mean, he's fighting. I mean, Marvin's booked. He's if, if it's not Paulo, it's probably Jared next. Yeah. So I don't think that goes very well for him either. To be I honest with you. Yeah, I don't know if he can somehow find that perfect like middle ground yeah. and reel yeah, that yeah. in. We're talking something dangerous here with him, but we got to see it first. That's all. Yeah, yeah. No, good point. I'll take the my takeaway for Cody Garbrandt here. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably one of the bigger duds in terms of a fight on the card, which I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear, despite even going to a decision. Uh, Cody Garbrandt does get a win which was obviously uh, crucial for him if he wanted to continue fighting in the UFC. But um, I'm sort of on the fence, and I hate to be that way. I like to come in here and kind of know how I'm leaning, try to really get those thoughts together so I'm not sitting here, you know, sitting on the fence on everything, right? And yet I find myself still undecided on how I feel about this Cody Garbrandt performance, Dom, because if you take the first two rounds of this fight, Obviously not a very exciting fight, but I thought Cody was doing the right thing and uh, he was showing respect to the power of Trevin Jones, but was being super defensively sound using good head movement um, and was overall getting the better of the striking. He didn't find himself in a firefight, but he was winning on points. And, you know, you need to be able to do all of that. If you get in a firefight, you need to be able to land with the power to put away an opponent. But if you get in a fight like this, you got to be able to kind of Pick yeah. your shots, be be the more impactful with your shots as much as possible, especially in a fight where there's not many shots being landed. Wrestle but then really. round three. Yeah, yep, yep. Very true. Great takedowns, actually. I'm yeah, glad you brought were. that up. Yeah. And then round three happens, and um, 
you know, the fight ends with Cody on his back, getting some ground and pound landed on him by Trevin Jones. And yeah, Cody gets the win, but this was against Trevin Jones at the end of the day, who I'm not going to say is a bad fighter, but I believe he's like two and three or two and four in the UFC now. Mm-hmm. So for Cody Garbrandt, former champion, guy who's been fighting nothing but real contenders up until this fight, you know, to come in here and have somewhat of a close fight with Trevin Jones, I d- it was it's a win is a win is a win, and I'm glad to see him get it, and he can you know, hopefully maybe that can give him some confidence, and he can yeah try to carry this over to the next one that kind of style of being using good head movement, good footwork, even wrestling, mixing that in there. Cause those takedowns were fucking sick. They were sick. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess that's the positives. The negatives are just, I'm still just, I still don't have an answer if Cody Garbrandt's ever really going to be Cody Garbrandt again. I just kind of, you know, is this really, is this really the kind of guys that he's going to be struggling to win or, you know, have those kind of fights with where he wins, but not decisively. Yeah. It was weird, man. Like he looked so good and clean yet. I'm left at the end of the fight wishing like, or thinking just like, ah, and then once Trevin Jones did land clean, it hurt Cody. Hurt him. Like, it hurt him. Yeah. And I will give him credit for being able to weather that and you know yeah. still find some paths of success to avoid getting hit with a follow-up. But you know, it's I'm not I don't walk away feeling crazy optimistic. I just don't. And you know, I'm I'm always gonna root for the guy. We're Ohio through and through, mm-hmm. but if the third round looked more like the first two, obviously it's not an exciting fight, but I'd be feeling a little bit more positive on here. And instead I just, it, it raised more questions than it gave us answers. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. I almost felt like, and I saw some people saying kind of the same sentiment. Um, he was almost just fighting to avoid the knockout. Like the, the skill discrepancy I thought was clear. Cody was mm-hmm. the better fighter. And I think with those skills, he could have really pushed a better pace overall leading to a better fight, potentially getting a finish. You never know, but he almost just was content with it was clean. There weren't too many scary moments outside of the late in the third round, but I, I just, I don't know if that fight style can get him back to where he wants to be because I know he has the aspirations to get back into contention, but and I don't know, maybe he just wanted to get this fight under his belt, get back first fight with the new camp, maybe, maybe. But what you said I think is perfect. You are left with more questions than takeaways. I think that's a good way to describe this fight, for sure. Sure, sure. So, Dominic, do you want to take any of the final two fights to give a takeaway to? Uh, quick shout-out to, I'm going to call him Mab, M-A-B. Uh, he got the good finish, <laughs> Mark Andre, over Julian Marquez. Cuban Missile Crisis is kill or be killed, man. And it's just tough to see him go out again and back to back, I think, knockout losses now. But that's a good win for Mark Andre. He's not known to get many big finishes. He's had his fair share of just dull outings. So good win for him. But Amanda Hebas, my girl, the happiest fighter in all of mixed martial arts, is in the win column. And it's at flyweight at 125 pounds. So add another wrench to this insane division yeah, last night she looked point. good 
She looked really good. A win over Viviani Arujo says a lot to me. I said that on Friday. I'll say it again now. Amanda is a great grappler, great jujitsu. We already knew that. Looking good on the feet, though. Looks looks a little bit more polished. I think still her hands are a little low at times, but overall, she showed some power. She knocked down Viviani, had a knockdown. Uh, mm -hmm. So it was just a really good performance for her. She had a really close fight with Caitlin Chukagian. She <clears> called <throat> to fight someone up at 125. And then if not, I think she even said the name Carla Sparza. I may have to go rewatch it again, but it shows she's open to 115 again. But regardless, come Tuesday, she will now be ranked in two weight classes as well. So mm -hmm. I, I've always been a fan of her. I think she still has very good potential. It's just a matter of what weight class are you going to commit to more. But I thought it was a good performance for sure. Yeah, I thought the her ability on in the striking is showing big improvements through and through. She's showing those improvements are showing through big time. I mean, this is a far cry from what mm -hmm. we saw against her or oh, when she yeah. fought Marina Rodriguez, you know. Oh, yeah. And uh the Caitlin Chukagian fight was that step in the right direction, Dom. But uh Viviani is, I think, a much more dangerous fighter. Uh yeah. when it's the fight standing. Uh Chukagian's got the awkward length and you know. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. a tough matchup in of itself. But here to knock down a powerful striker in Ira and get the better of a lot of those exchanges and show some of your own power in doing so, mm -hmm. I think she deserves some credit for that because we know how good her jiu-jitsu is. And um, if she's going to become this well-rounded, she is – I'm not quite ready to put her up with some of the other girls I talked about. You know, she is – I think she's more like the Macy Barber uh, right now. For now, where, yeah. yeah. Um, I think – they're kind of on a on the bubble of me really believing in them in this division. Like I think a big another big win for either one of them, uh, maybe against each other. I don't know, but mm -hmm. uh, another big win for either one of them, and all of a sudden I'm believing in them as like in the crop of women's flyweights that I think could be champions. Do you have a preference on what weight class you'd like to see or commit to more, or at least fight next at? <sighs> Or do you kind of, you're kind of like, all right. Well, Dom, I like, uh, you know, this is truthfully, I'd, if she goes back down to 115, you know, I, I, I don't know how much she loses in her like power and her striking capability. So in two performances in flyway, I thought she's looked pretty good. Mm -hmm. So I don't really see a reason for her to go back yeah. down. I mean, not that she looked bad, but you know, I don't know what she walks around at weight-wise, mm -hmm. but, you know, she obviously got finished at strawweight Marina Rodriguez. Mm -hmm. But she's eight cleaner shots from, like, she was eating clean shots from Viviani last night, who was a more powerful puncher than Marina Rodriguez. So, like, yeah, yeah. I kind of like the way she fills in at 125 and how she's looked. Mm -hmm. So, for all I know, she'd go back down, and those improvements would just show no matter what weight class she's in, or we might find out that the 115 is just too much for her to really – make i mean i don't she's not like a big 115 or but you get my point yeah yeah for sure i like that yeah so now for the early prelims real quick ian gary tk over song kinan cameron simon getting a majority decision over mana martinez tabitha ricci with the submission over jessica pinne farid basharat unanimous decision went over damon blackshear and loic or loic i always forget how to say it the former two-time runner-up in the pfl uh, Rodzabov gets mm -hmm. the unanimous decision whenever Esteban Rebovich, which I think was the first loss of uh, Esteban's professional MMA career. So, Dominic, I'll let you start first. Big takeaways from the early prelims here. 
It's crazy. This is literally a card where we can go 14 for 14 with takeaways. That's that it really that's how special mm -hmm. it was. But from the early prelims, a great batch of fights, a great batch of young talent. But I'm gonna go Tabitha Ricci first. Ooh, uh we talked okay. about this yeah, like a little it. talked about this a little bit last night. Uh we had a discussion at the end of the year, beginning of this year on prospects that we thought were gonna take that next step in 2023. Noah said last night, I wish I would have thought about Ricci during that discussion. And uh, now, and I remember saying to you last night, you know what, now with a win over Panay and the way in which she did it, I'm ready to put her into that mm -hmm. group of young uh, prospects here because she's three and one. She's won three fights in a row. The only loss, Manon Fior. And it went to the, di uh, the distance. So Wait, she comes in. I thought she got finished in that fight. Am I wrong? Maybe she did. You might have to fact. It doesn't matter, but, but that's her only loss. Right. And it's against the number one ranked flyweight or number two, whatever she is now. And th by the way, yeah, that's a flyweight fight. She's at strawweight yeah. doing this. So that's second round, even more. second round TKO loss. That's, okay. But that, okay. That, that flyweight. So yeah, her debut, she came in, I'm assuming then short notice to fight up a weight class against Manon. She's three and zero at 115 pounds. Now she finishes, honestly, one of the women's MMA pioneers that's still hanging around. And Jessica Panay, 40 years old, I understand that. But she finished her, and before that, just dominated. Everywhere she wanted to look good on the feet. Her grappling and jujitsu is really, really good for 115 pounds. Definitely deserves top 15 next. And she's really good. She's really young, but a lot of potential. I wasn't really big on it in the two uh, you know, prior wins, but this one, she really showcased a lot mm -hmm. of ever-improving skills. I think she could do really well at 115 pounds. I know Jessica Panay's like 40 now, yeah, but I, yeah. I mean, I still think that's a good win. Someone who's fought some of the best of the best of women's MMA. And she so. just dominated the fight too. Yeah. No, yeah. No, she looked great. Um, I will say something for Ian Gary here. I mean, it's Ian Gary Machado, I think, but everybody keeps showing Ian Machado Gary. Machado, Machado Gary. Did they show it as Machado Gary? Because, okay, actually, full disclosure, um, this is the one fight that I did not get to watch. Well, they never on the like graphics. It never said Machado mm. Gary, but John Anik was saying it the whole time. Okay, so, so Ian Machado Gary. So I'm actually gonna let you take that one, but I, I'm gonna use this time my time to bring it up. But it's I'll gonna just be describe more the fight. <laughs> so I didn't watch the. This was the, I was LT with my family. I was watching the fights on my phone. Ian Gary fight comes on as we're paying, as we're getting ready to leave. Mm. I get out to my car. Like I saw him get knocked down. Yeah. But then when I'm out in my car, like in my head, I'm thinking, oh no, Sonkin, I might be like, <laughs> yeah, get about to give him his first loss. Well, then I get to my car, I see that he won. And then I see text in the group chat saying that was a dominant performance. So in my head, I was like thinking he might be getting exposed a little bit because I was worried about that. Yeah. And then it turned out this might he have been won. his most complete performance <laughs> to date. Um, yeah. So Dominic, kind of like what we talked about earlier with like, this is to a higher level degree who we talked about earlier. You know, we talked about Shavkat, you know, these prospects who look, you know, uh, not, I mean, it's, it's not, it's apples and oranges a bit here, this comparison, but Shavkat looked dominant, right? Islam, some of these guys, they look dominant or they look really good or they have all this potential. They got all this hype, you know, Patty Pimblett, throw whoever in there. And then we say when in order to take that next step, we kind of want to see them, you know, get tested a little more, get put into a, a, a bit of a war, get see how they look when they aren't the hammer, you know, hitting the proverbial yep. nail. Like, yep. 
with Ian Gary taking the or getting hit with the hardest shot maybe of his career here and getting knocked down, based off of how the whole fight went, do you feel like you kind of got that answered now? You know, this was a guy who, despite the hype, he had that debut where even though he was kind of losing that first round, I thought he gets the highlight reel knockout to end the first round. But then back-to-back kind of dull performances, but wins where I don't even know if he lost a round in either of those. Yeah. You know, was this kind of the win you needed to, you know, sort of buy in a little bit again to Ian Gary as a, you know, future player in in this division? Oh, I think so for sure. You know, he took a shot that drops a lot of people, by the way, not just him. I mean, this was a really clean shot. That song landed and he did the right things. He didn't get wobbled and then just start throwing for the fences, trying to be defensive, you know, and then puts himself more vulnerable. No, he immediately went to grab song. He clinched up. He held him against the fence so that he could recover heading into his corner at the end of that round. And he's young. So to have that knowledge and the ability to do that did say a lot. And then you come back out and you pitch a fucking shutout for 10 more minutes after that almost getting finished. This was that win for Ian Gary. Absolutely. He battered Song Kinong with leg kicks. He dominated with his striking. He showed a, a vast arsenal of weaponry. All the hype that was surrounding him coming into the UFC showed itself to me now. Not necessarily in the first three. Like, yeah, you know, he finished Jordan Williams. That's cool. But you were losing that round. Let's not forget. This fight was literally 45 seconds or whatever when the knockdown happened. It was something like that. Shy of being utterly flawless. And then he finishes it with a finish with 35 seconds left in the fight. 38 seconds. So this was the one for me that said, all right. He is everything that people were saying, and he's everything that he's saying he is. He's great on the mic, by the way, too. He just did it so well. Well-spoken, sharp-dressed guy. The suit he had on afterward. Ooh, some guy talked shit to him in the parking lot. Don't know if you saw that video on Twitter. Some, like, random mm-hmm. fan tried to confront him. I'm like, come on. you're. This is... Anyways. Some of these fans getting a little too getting, yeah. getting a little too big for their britches. You had that guy, yeah, yeah, you know, with the sign at the parade and yeah, with Dustin. Dustin. Yeah, I know, just stupid shit. But Ian Gary, I'm in now. I'm on it for sure. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I will watch this fight back. Actually, probably when we get done. I am recording. interested to hear I, your thoughts. I didn't have a chance, um, yeah. but I've kind of got the gist from what I've heard. Yeah, but I do think it. I need to watch it back, especially when I've been one of those guys starting doubt Ian Gary a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I am very happy to hear this though, Dom, because truthfully, I was sort of dreading the idea of coming on here and talking about Ian Gary like I've talked about Patty Pimblett. Yeah. And European fans may literally come <laughs> find me and kill me, and I just I wasn't ready for that kind of backlash. So, yeah. it is good to hear. Um, I will just give one more shout out from the early prelims. Uh, I think the Basharat brothers are both incredible Dude. talent. Holy shit. And uh, now talk about a sweat though. Uh, Farid <laughs> Basharat uh, looked great. And then he got nearly caught in a submission at the very end of the fight, right? That was that fight, wasn't it? Yeah, it was literally the last 10 seconds yeah, of the yeah, fight. Yeah, was he last, was in okay. a tight For some reason, for a second, the way you started like looking, like sometimes you give this look that's like, oh, no, he's I'm not going to interrupt him. But he's Oh, totally when I look to the side. <laughs> so I was like, wait, was it the Simon Martinez fight that I'm thinking <laughs> no, no. of all of a sudden? You're good. No, you're the good. Basra got caught in a submission with like right at the end of the fight. It was, and, you know, yeah. Did, did you, 
I mean, I know we have the bet slip coming up. Did you have Bosch Rod on any parlays or anything? I did, yeah. The asshole was clinched for sure. Yeah, same here. So <laughs> even though it didn't even end up fucking mattering, because I'm pretty sure that's the parlay that died uh, with yeah. Cody and uh, Cody and Trevin Jones. But I did want to give him a shout out. I think both the Bosch Rod brothers are going to be problems uh, here come soon. But they both have a they both have kind of a thing in common. Dominic, they do kind of leave that chin a little open. Um, mm-hmm. do, do I think part of that's like, they're so fast, so quick twitch that they have that good twitch where like, am I saying that right? They have, they have that twitch where like, they're very yep. quick to, you know, get out of, get out of range, but yep. they don't leave their hands up. They kind of leave yep. the, the head out a little bit. Makes me a little nervous, but I think in terms of talent, both these guys are fantastic. And Demont Blackshear, not a bad fighter, by the way, he was a former champion. Oh, well. Oh no, he was like a champion. I don't know if it was Cage Warriors or what it was, but um definitely a guy who Cage Fury. Um, Cage Fury, thank you. Yeah. And I think he had some I remember he was a guy that was like tweeting out like really trying to get out of his contract stuff with Cage yeah. Fury or something like that. So uh he's definitely good. Um so this was a good win for him. Um but yeah, not a fight that probably a ton of people you know, had much to say about, but I just wanted to give a shout out to Basharat, Dominic, anybody else you want to shout out? Well, I'm just glad you brought up Damon on the other side of that fight, because I just want to pair this real quick with the Cameron Simon and Mana Martinez fight. Look at these four guys and how good all four of them are, especially the winners. Mm-hmm. And they're in Bantamweight. It's the best yeah. division in the UFC. <laughs> it's the yeah. best division in mixed martial arts. Cameron Simon is eight and oh, he's 22. He's 20. <laughs> Two years old, man, and he you're beating Mana Martinez in your second UFC fight. Now, clean it up a little, Cameron. We had some eye pokes, two nut shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, been, he's lost points in both of his first two UFC fights. So, but he's young. So it's is like, he still? Yeah, is it young? You is know he still, what I mean? I, like, I wonder. I, I'd have to ask someone who's probably done it before. Yeah. But I wonder yeah. if that's a lot of jitters, like you know. Yeah, man, and just stuff with the your wrong timing, spots. just a little behind, yeah. you know. But no, he yeah. definitely looks good, and he uh, just like uh, Jerkis, uh represent yep. Africa as well. So, yep, both from South Africa, trained together. So I just wanted to pair those because bantamweight, <laughs> the fact that four guys as good as this, as well rounded as this, these were two high level fights, man, mm-hmm. on the early prelims in the way, way deep back, like in the 60s and 70s of the Bantamweight division, because I think they said there's like 80 Bantamweights on the roster. <laughs> if that don't tell you how deep and good this division is, I don't know what does. So Any, one of, the, any of those guys want to drop down 10 pounds? I mean, come on, man. Come <laughs> yeah, on. add some fun we to We love the our flyweights. We, we yeah. want to get some of that top talent down there too. Yeah. Uh, but Dominic, with that, I think we're going to move on to the below average bet slip. And um, I was back for the first time. We come out with time. the with the large positive result here, and yet I can't really take any of the. Uh, I mean, just barely can take any of the claim to that number. Dominic, despite a tough start to twenty twenty three, goes undefeated. Oh man, he's him, as yeah. they would say. Uh, so he goes five and zero. Oh. Mm-hmm. I barely came out positive, like around a quarter of a unit positive. So I'll take it. Okay. It actually is not quite representative of my betting weekend for all the combat sports because I lied the live bet at plus 650 on yeah. Alexa Grasso and then I actually had uh my boxing bet of the weekend Brandon Figueroa by decision plus 140. So I ended up having a big profit the biggest profit I've had since I started betting on combat sports again three weeks ago now. Yeah. 
but it just didn't quite show on the bet slip. But, you know, Dominic was able to carry us to a big number, and that's exactly what we need, Dom. So um, all I'll say for my side of things on the bet slip, you know, I really like the, the, the slate I had. I have tried to learn from, I always think to back to this example, when Luke fought Muhammad, Blau Muhammad the second time, um, when Luke lost that fight, you know, I had a unit on Luke on a parlay. I had a single on him. I may have even had like a certain prop with him, like on another parlay. And all of those missed. And then I had like a terrible betting day because of that. Yeah. So I've tried to learn my lesson from that and not put too many units at risk that require a similar result. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm against putting multiple units on the same fight. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, like I had a parlay with Shavkat money line. Well, that one ended up hitting that whole parlay went four for four. But then I had a single where I had that fight, Neil Rockman off under two and a half. Well, that one didn't hit. Yeah, but that's okay. Like I didn't put too much. Uh, now, if Jeff Neal had gotten a finish and or if it had been a Jeff Neal decision, that would have fucking blown ass. But you know, I just <laughs> like I I still had it different enough to where like both things could hit or one thing could hit. Unfortunately, the the Cody Garbrandt, Trevin Jones uh, unders were kind of the only thing that really held me back here. I had the under one and a half plus 100 as a single and then on the uh parlay that did not hit three three legs plus 107 i wouldn't have hit eight either way because jones gone did not go over one and a half rounds but mm-hmm. um i had under two and a half rounds on that one so that's the really only thing on here that i need to clean up moving forward but um you know i don't like i'll take that jalen turner number any day of the week plus 300 by finish when a guy's finished five straight fights and was had the momentum he had, even though I didn't favor him to win and he didn't win, but you got to take that chance. Uh, everything else, you know, some of it didn't hit, some of it did, but uh, I'd do it all again, probably because the the numbers don't lie, Dom. Yeah. I mean, as Noah said, I had a big week and I needed it so bad. Mm-hmm. I was on a skid. I was missing Noah badly. So I'm glad he was able to still come out in the green and, you know, we that's what we want. We want both of us to be in the green, no matter the unit sizes. So with your quarter positive, I went. I'll let five, you know the exact number, but I. Yeah, I don't you can know send me exactly. that for the graphic. But you yeah, you guys will see the total numbers. But for me, five and oh, plus five point three five units. It was just great, like across the board. And I needed it so bad. We hit some of the violence plays. Finally, I've been struggling on those. And I, the one I wanted to shout out the most was actually the one that just came the latest um because all the other ones like the parlays and some of the like shop cut by finish and stuff it was more research based it, i took more time into it but on fight day fight day morning jones gone inside the distance plus 100 and i'm like there was just something that like reached out and grabbed me at those odds at that play i just had this weird feeling that regardless of mm. the winner i don't see this going 25 minutes uh, little did I know it wouldn't even take three full minutes, but I just really love the value there, especially if you can get plus a hundred on a five round fight to not go the distance. That's almost worth sprinkling on every time you get, especially when you have it at heavyweight with high mm-hmm. level guys yeah, like this that great. do finish fights. I just, I, I love that there. So that was just the really icing on the cake to finish that card off. So it was a huge week for us. 
We're back in the positive for sure. Again, you guys will see the full numbers and the full plays on the screen, but we needed it. Let's keep that momentum going because the train ain't stopping. We've got fights every freaking weekend for like two more straight months. Let's ride. Everybody get ready to put together your heavy favorite Bellator parlays this weekend. Yes, sir. Everybody loves yes, those. Sir. So, um, yeah, very excited for it. A lot, of, a lot of cards. That means a lot of opportunities to make some money. Mm-hmm. And uh, with that, Dominic, we're going to end the show with the only segment we know how. It's a little segment we like to call Closing Statements. It's a point mm-hmm. of the show where me and Dominic can talk about anything and everything, MMA-related or not. So, Dominic, do you have any closing statements to send us off into a great, great week? Honestly, this has been a long one. We talked about it a lot. I don't know if I have anything. You know, it was just great to have us all together mm-hmm. again to watch a card. Noah back to visit family and stuff. So that was cool. It's always special when we're all together to watch a card. So it's just camaraderie with the fellas. I'm going to leave it at that. You know, I ain't even got anything to add on top of it, man. <laughs> it, uh, it's been a long one, but I think every I think that it speaks for itself. I think this is one of our finer works here, Dom. Mm-hmm. Our, our creme de la creme, uh, you know, as some would say. So mm-hmm. my name's Noah Baker. That's Dominic Salee. We are but just two of the below average Joes, and we will see you guys on Friday.